I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's bright and early mm. on Monday morning after maybe the greatest division around, maybe the greatest weekend in football history. That's what, that's what they're calling it, Sam. Who's they? Peter King. Oh, okay. Look, like, I mean, the guy, he's like the, the key historian. Well, he knows, yeah. He's been doing this a while. Oh, I almost, I, I, I do, I do, you know. <laughs> Give me a minute to get into my... Uh, to my you Peter didn't, King. You stick. didn't notice that the entire city here is painted orange. Every building that can no. light up is now lit up orange. Half asleep driving yeah. in this morning. I was Things half asleep. usually blue or white or whatever. It's all orange now. Who day? I'll take a look next week. Okay. Or yeah. next time I drive in in the wee hours of the morning. Right. I'll notice. Yeah. Tyler, do you notice the city? Tyler knows. Being orange? I don't know. Um, yeah, people are, uh, people are excited here in Cincinnati. Incredible weekend. The first three games of the divisional round all came came down to a road team game winning walk off field goal. Yep. And then maybe the, the last greatest one went to overtime. Yeah, and one of the greatest games of all time, overtime. We've got a lot of overtime discourse this morning, Sam. None of which will be taking place on this podcast. There will be no we, we could do 3 hours worth of a show here. Don't want it. Don't and care. We don't want to touch on overtime discourse. Don't care about overtime. I just don't. I don't care. Yeah. No, you would rather dissect uh, you know, rugby plays in depth Literally for an hour anything. and a half. Not even rugby, just anything. Go into Anything. any other rule, mm-hmm. you know. I just, I don't, I can't find it in me to care about overtime. I just can't. So this, you think, it's, you see, I think, think it's perfect? No, I think the way it currently is is a bad idea. I think every other proposed rule I've seen suggested is also a bad idea. I just do not care. I think college overtime suggestion is the worst idea for the NFL. They're all bad. All of them. All of them are bad. Here we are having discourse. Don't want it. Move on. Send us emails. Send not us e- about, no, 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 not do not. Overtime. Do not send us emails about send that. Send us emails. I, do, I will not read overtime emails because I'm not into anything other than overtime. I'm not into the overtime discourse. Um, okay. NFL podcast, singular, at pff.com. So the money for the tornado thing is gone. Sent off to them. They should have that in hand. Uh, I have arranged for a minor forfeit slash punishment for uh, us both for that money. You have? I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll immediately veto it as a bad idea. But it's, it's in motion, and at some point that will happen yeah, just, to, being, just to get something done for the tornado money. Being vetoed as a bad idea. And then we need... Is it the peppers? Then we need the next one. It's not the peppers. Um, I told you, it's not, it's not pepper growing season, you know? Even uh, Rick with his like indoor growing factory or whatever he's got down there is I don't think is... Is firing stuff up right now. You can't just arbitrarily, uh, arbitrarily find a punishment. For I me. can. That's how this works. It's a co. Um, it's a co punishment. Yeah, and then we'll do. So anyway, we need the next charity 
Like, who are we donating the money to? We need the next idea, uh, the actual sort of proper forfeit, punishment, whatever thing we're doing. There's a lot of people who want some kind of dueling, you know, yeah, charity yeah, thing. That, it's adding a layer of complexity to this that I'm not sure I'm 100% on board with, but I'm not I'm not vetoing it. So anyway, send us ideas, nflpodcasts at pff.com or on the uh, the Twitter account. At PFF NFL Pod is our official Twitter account. There, that's that's all I got with that. All right, great, good work. Uh, we're going to get into all of the madness here in a minute. But first, we've got an opportunity for you to win a chance for the ultimate game day feast. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern's teaming up with Chris Collinsworth, our very own here at PFF to share insights that will help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the Ultimate Feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. So that's coming up. It's a few weeks away. We'll cover your catering for up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. Don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western and, South- Western, Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, we're showing you where it is right now, but also check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, who rest assured on game day? Well, the Bengals first. What? They rest assured. They, they were resting assured. Rest assured. Yeah, yeah. It's a transition, Sam. Yeah. Not a good one. It doesn't matter. It was. It was what it was. Okay. Bengals win. They're off to the AFC Championship. They are. Yeah. It was 19-16. to 16. That felt like eons ago. What a, again, uh, just to reiterate, the excitement of this weekend. Bengals win 19-16. Walk-off field goal. Evan McPherson, the dude's... Uh, you know, one of the better kickers in the league right now. Mm. and Right now. <laughs> right now, because any, anybody not named Justin Tucker. I was thinking, so, you know, during, was it which, the Chiefs game, right? They had Jay Feely, the sideline kicker correspondent, which yes. I never quite understood as a concept, but okay, let's roll with it. And no sooner had Jay Feely just started bigging up Harrison Buckner as like, he's, he's not quite Justin Tucker, but he's right there with him. It's like shank, like yeah. doink, extra, whatever, right? Extra Immediately point missed, field goal <laughs> missed. Like, and when you've got Evan McPherson nailing these kicks, and I was sort of wondering, yeah, like he's he's doing really well right now. How quickly before he's cut and kicking for somebody else, right? Like remember when Blair Walsh did this for the Vikings, or you know now like Daniel Carlson got cut and is now one of the best kickers ever for somebody else. Like we are. Six months away from the Bengals cutting this guy and him going on to have a second career for somebody else, you know, having shanked five kicks straight. And yet somehow Mason Crosby just continues on trucking for the same team despite going through like five of those career... Going through the yips. Right, career-killing stretches. So the big... Many stories coming out of this Bengals-Titans game. So this is where we're going to start. And uh, each game got progressively better and crazier. I mean, I think that you could honestly say that. They were all crazy in their own right. Maybe the 49ers-Packers was the second craziest, but I think it's... I think it this literally was the most got normal worse. game. The most normal and game. And yet it was, just, it was just a routine, really close, exciting game. Yet Joe Burrow gets sacked nine times right. in a victory. So Ruth, the most normal, routine game, and yet it set an NFL record. 
Like yes. that's how crazy this weekend was. You were doing some uh, some research on the uh, well, sack totals, like, right? Yeah, during the game, it became apparent that this was getting kind of crazy, right? Burrow was going down constantly with sacks, and you're like, what is the most number of sacks a guy has taken and still won a playoff game? Because we've got to be approaching it. Turns out the number was nine. Um, eight, depending on, like, when you drew the line. Like, in order to get to nine, you have to go back to the AFL. The Chiefs, Len Dawson. By the way, that game, nuts. Apparently I, apparently, in an AFL championship game, Len Dawson won a game 31-7, to having been sacked nine times. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I don't remember um, that at all. If you go, if you, <laughs> since the merger... Uh, I think Donovan McNabb, the, the fourth and twenty-six game against the Packers, like that was the last time, and that was eight. Didn't so, McNabb have a couple of those games where he got sacked like eight to ten times, some probably. ridiculous number? Yeah, but that was the only one where a guy had won was that fourth and twenty-six game where he'd been sacked eight times. So this game, uh, Joe Burrow sacked nine times, the most a guy has ever taken since the merger, and still won a game, which is craziness. It, it, this was weird because. Everybody's going to be talking about the pressure and, and the Bengals' offensive line and pass protection and all that stuff. And it wasn't good overall, but it was also one of those games where like every pressure turned into a sack. Yeah. So it wasn't like they gave up twenty-two or they gave up uh, thirteen pressures total. Yeah. Nine so, of which were sacks. So they were just the, the thing about an actual sack is it's not. Again, we talk about this all the time. We've used the you know the, the research says it's more of a QB driven stat. I think once you what's, – what, what was happening in this game was the Titans were just taking away Joe Burrow's first read a lot. And on these particular plays – I mean, there was some quick pressure in there too. But on these particular plays, if he held the ball just a tick and came back to something else, he was done on these particular plays, right, on a bunch of them. There was other plays where, you know, might have been on Burrow, getting rid of the ball and all this stuff. So, But it wasn't like the Bengals got absolutely smoked up front – Especially even compared to other offensive lines, but this was a this was a weekend of defensive fronts and defensive um, until we saw the fireworks late in the Chiefs Bills game. It was very much a defense oriented weekend, right? Especially on Saturday. Yeah, but it's also like it, it really was. I can't. It's it's very hard to articulate this, but it was quote unquote just those plays, like. If you were watching this game, you could easily come away with the impression that, like, Jeffrey Simmons was the best player in the NFL this week, right? Four sacks. Each one of those four sacks was him absolutely wrecking his guy, getting into the backfield stuff in the play and just annihilating him, right? But he rushed the passer 43 times and had five pressures. So four sacks and one additional pressure, which is, I mean, it's reasonable. It's pretty good. Like, four sacks is fantastic, but usually when that happens – you get a guy with four sacks, and that guy will have, like, double-digit pressures. He's in the backfield constantly. Just by the nature of these things, you need that volume of pressure to get that kind of uh, production. It's like, you know, a, a striker in soccer. Like, the, very rarely do they score every shot that they have, right? You need a bunch of opportunities, and then you get X number of goals off the back of that. Jeffrey Simmons had a sack almost every single time he got pressure, which is just weird. So the Bengals got up 16-6 to in this game. And then the game really gets turned on, and it gets to 16-9 interception by by, uh, Amani Hooker. Hooker has uh, a couple huge plays in this game, but it was uh, Tennessee scores, uh, kicks a field goal, so it's 16-9. It's the third quarter. 
Joe Burrow pass slightly off slash dropped to Samaje P. Ryan. Bounces up. Amani Hooker comes diving in and catches the ball off the turf. Another one of those debatable types of plays. The ball hit the ground, but it didn't really move. Either way, great play by Amani Hooker. Titans come back. Ryan Tannehill. Very mad if they'd taken that off the board because it touched the ground. Like, that was a pick. The Bird Emanuel rule. I also think, so Mitchell Schwartz has made this point. I think that is a perfect example of it, that for certain things, you should only be, al- you should only be allowed to slow the tape down so much, yeah. right? Under any normal speed, that's an easy interception. You wouldn't question it at all. The slower you made it, the more, you could, the more it looked like, oh, I don't know, I touched the ground. Is it a big? Like, stop. Stop slowing it down. You don't need to. Any normal speed, it's just a pick. Did you almost go full Romo there? Yeah. I don't know, Jim. We've seen it on the ground, and it's rubbing against the dirt, and I don't you know if they're going to do it. Like the last play of the game, when they started looking at it. I'm a Romo like, apologist, because the first, like, yes. I don't, I don't think it's over, Jim. The first, inter, uh, the, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Of course it's over. Like, they're both, the both first, feet are in. The first replay that they showed. With Kelsey. Both feet were in. The, tra- the Travis Kelsey walk-off touchdown. Both feet were in, but the first replay they showed, it did look like when he went to the ground, it bounced. Then when they flipped to the other side, it like didn't even come close <laughs> yeah. to bouncing. It was absolutely a catch. Don't take Romo's enthusiasm away from him. <laughs> Do not take it away from him. But, yeah, he would have gone nuts on the Samani Hooker interception had he been in the booth. What did you make of the whole Derrick Henry thing? Because that was obviously the story coming to this game. Derrick Henry's back, Superman metal plate in his foot, bionic human, and then first play of the game, I actually think this is a really smart call. They went play action. They didn't give him the ball. Yeah. They went play action. He tried to hit A.J. Brown over the top, and Justin, or, uh, Jesse Bates was just like, <laughs> ready for it. Yoink just grabs the interception. <laughs> the first two, you made this point, right? The first two passes of each half for Ryan Tannehill were intercepted. Yeah, yeah I mean, but I, I think that was a smart call. Like, everybody yeah. in the world is expecting Derrick Henry to get the first carry, right? The guy hasn't played for months. He's back. He's back is the story. We're going to feed Derrick Henry until the wheels fall off. And literally first play, we go play action. We try and hit A.J. Brown over the top, which is the thing that Derrick Henry opens up. And Jesse Bates just jumps in front of it, grabs an interception. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, it was a good play, bad decision. By Tannehill. Yeah, but I think but I think it was the right call. Like yeah, the yeah. Right, I think it was a smart play call, and, and Jesse Bates was just absolutely ready for it and immediately gets Cincinnati off to a fantastic start. It did. Um, so there's a lot at stake here. I mean, Henry was okay in this game. I thought he was fine. You know, he didn't break. No, Dante Foreman. But. Dante Foreman was the one who did break the big run, had a long of 45, had four carries for 66 yards. I mean, Tennessee. I like Renner's tweet. Still ran of the ball. How many people do you think are under the impression that Derrick Henry rattled off that big run? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, not anymore because it happened so long ago and a lot of stuff's happened since then and they lost. But this was uh, Cincinnati's first ever road playoff win. Really? They've been to two Super Bowls before, and they were 0-7 on the road. I didn't even realize that. Uh, Joe Burrow's Joe Cool over here. I mean, that's the, the Joe Montana what kind, all right, comps. What, yeah. What kind of vibes are you getting from Joe Burrow right now? Because we're starting to get to a weird place of, you know, everybody making Joe Montana type of comps to him. It's, it's kind of like the tough thing in – in analysis the way we do it at a play-by-play level and all that stuff because i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to his second to last year at lsu and he 
and, and I don't know if this was just because LSU had been coming off a decade plus of some of the worst quarterback play you've ever seen. Joe Burrow had like a good, solid grade that particular year. He was a good quarterback. But I remember LSU fans saying, we have our Tom Brady in mm. Joe Burrow. This was before his Heisman season, before his dominant Heisman season, because he had shown flashes. And I know a lot of our colleagues in the analytics community and analytics Twitter and you know, the, that corner of NFL Twitter that uh, you know, lives, lives and dies by the spreadsheets and R will mock the NFL evaluators who will be like, oh, he just has it, right? When you're looking at Joe Burrow, and, and this was like the, 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 the decider between Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Oh, he just has it. We'll, we'll give Joe Burrow the Turns credit. They both have it. What's that? Turns out they both have they it. They both have it, right? But some people took Joe Burrow. He's just a winner and all that stuff. Two it doesn't. Two it doesn't. doesn't have it. Not it. Certainly not it. It being like a, enough arm to make these throws. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing, right? Because there's, there's, there's also a, a section of people who don't think, Oh, Joe Burrow, poo-armed, you know, number one overall pick and, and all this there stuff. There was a lot of people that did not like Joe Burrow as a number one overall pick. Yeah. And, and now, they didn't necessarily were, have an alternative. Like, and they were going in on him last year yeah. for, like, a few throws and stuff like that. All I'm saying is even there was something that LSU fans even saw before he was really good because he had these moments, right? And then he goes out in the national title run, and just every time the pressure was on, that dude stepped up. And I think he's still showing it right now. The guy just got sacked nine times. Some of that's his doing. It's his fault. Sure. But he gets out there and makes throw after throw after throw. He throws that deep out. Does I don't care. This was like, I don't care what it looks like velocity-wise. Now, Josh Allen will get to him, and his velocity and stuff matters. Joe Burrow's timing and accuracy on deep out, out routes and all this stuff is unreal. And he is just cool and calm under pressure. And I think that... That it factor, whatever you want to call it, means something. And Burroughs got it. And it doesn't mean you're going to win every game. It just means the moment's not going to be too big. And it means even in a game where things aren't great, I mean, get, you know, Brady yesterday, in the, like, not close to Brady's best game, but they're still going to be in it at the end and all that, you know. Joe Burrow's going to have the Bengals in a lot of games through the years because he's really good at football. And because when the moment gets big, it doesn't seem to face him at all. Yeah. Um, he like he had 9.4 yards per attempt whilst getting sacked nine times. He racked up almost 350 yards. He what I'm what I'm really liking about him at the moment is he has that. So he has that Brady Montana thing of um, it feels inevitable, right? Yeah. Like isn't there that? So you get you give those guys an opportunity and you know they're taking it. Like there's not a debate. I mean, this Mahomes has this as well. Like when. We'll get to that game later, but when I texted you last night, it was like two minutes with Mahomes. Like, forget it. Like, don't even. Uh, the game is done. Like, what it, now? I didn't expect him to score. Then another score. And then another score after that. But the point is, two minutes with Mahomes with the ball. We know he's scoring. Like, it's not even up for debate. That you're getting that feeling. You always had it with Tom Brady that if you give him that opportunity, he will make it happen, even if it's not pretty. Burrow the same thing, but also he has that swagger and treads that line between like arrogance and confidence where you know he has been saying all along that like the the Bengals are for real they're not just like screwing around here we are why not us was his speech right like this is not a team that backed into the playoffs that was never really worth their uh their um seeding and can't hang with the biggest teams in the league this is we're here now 
And we have designs on winning this thing, not just showing up and going, like having a nice account of ourselves in the playoffs. Like they're now in the AFC Championship game against a team they know they can beat. And Burrow is like, "What? We're, why are we not thinking Super Bowl here? Like this is our this is our goal. I did this in college. I won a national title. I am looking to bring a ring to Cincinnati. Like that's a hell of a thing to be going out and saying publicly with the kind of confidence that he has. Like just just a there's a difference there between a guy who sort of deep down probably knows that he's not really at this kind of level and a guy who just goes, no, this is like these are the standards. This is what I do. We are shooting right. for a Super Bowl, and that's, that's what we're aiming for. So I know Matthew Stafford is in the NFC Championship, and he's coming off a great game yesterday, and he, he did a lot to be, to be in this position. But the thing that people said about Stafford for years was, oh, he was stuck with the Lions. He was stuck with this horrible yeah, franchise. Burrow so, was stuck with the Bengals and now has him in the AFC Championship game. That's the other factor. So, like, when you look at, when you look at Brady going to New England, the previous years in New England were not good. And then all of a sudden, things flip, right? Mahomes with the Chiefs, he went to a good situation that then became great, Right. So when you're looking at these... I think there's a, there's a buy-in there, right? It's because of this stuff where when he says that, people believe it. If, like, I hate to bring it back to... Like, Stafford, for one, but, like, Kirk Cousins would be the great example. Like, Kirk Cousins has played at a level that isn't an awful lot... Like, not a million miles away from Burrow is right now. But if, Bar- if, if Kirk Cousins was like, we're heading to the Super Bowl, boys, everyone would be like, <laughs> sure you are. Like... Give, write, send us a postcard when you're there. You know what I mean? Let us know what it's like. Nobody's buying into that. You know, whereas Burrow says it, everyone's like, all right, let's go. Let's saddle up. Right. I mean, and, and that's why you get the, um, the Joe Montana comps. And Brady was always getting the Joe Montana comps. Yeah. And, that, and Joe Montana was Brady's hero, which is interesting, right? Like, Brady had a lot of the Montana type of stuff right the by the way there's a nice uh do you watch any of the montana documentary i haven't watched it yet i'm going to at some I'm, point though i'm like halfway through the first episode it's interesting it does feel like it's going to be a big like chip on your shoulder type of you know joe talking about him being an underdog throughout the uh years that stuff is interesting though right as much as we do play-by-play analysis and all that stuff the fact that a lot of these greatest quarterbacks of all time didn't uh, you know peyton manning was like the only guy not the only guy but one of those few guys that had that pure path to number one overall pick, to like never was really bad unless you say, you know, he had 28 interceptions his first, his rookie season. Right. But like pillar to post was just anointed as the great yeah. one. But you would look at Peyton or Elway as these, you know, number one overall picks, like a wire to wire greatness type of thing. A lot of the other guys, the Montanas and Brady's and uh, Aaron Rodgers of the world, didn't have that path. Drew Brees, more, there's more. Mahomes, right? These guys had a different path. And Burrow's that guy too, right? Like they, they didn't pick him as the starting quarterback at Ohio State. He went mm-hmm. to LSU, had just a good season, and then had. And, but since that, since 2019, has been absolutely great. Look at that; it's Joe and Joe Burrow and Montana here on the YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, all that said, I mean, there's something to Joe Burrow's going to have the Bengals up up here for a while. If for nothing else, he's a great player, and for whatever that other stuff is worth. Behind the scenes, belief and this and that, that whole Montana's in the in the huddle being like, Hey guys, it's John Candy. We're about to win the Super Bowl. You know, games on the line, but hey, look, there's John Candy in the stands. I don't know. Burrow's got some of that uh the touchy feely stuff that you can't quant- quantify. Yeah. 
It really is. And I think there's a degree of this buy-in, though, that change, that makes things different. Like, there's something about those guys. Like, when we were doing the research for the Montana versus Steve Young um, podcast that we did the other summer, it was so interesting hearing, talking to people, you know, former teammates, Ronnie Lott, guys like that, who who knew that all you had to do was get was give Joe Montana a chance at the end of the game, right? It didn't matter that you were only there because Joe Montana had thrown three interceptions already. Like, just give him the ball with two minutes left, and you're going to win. There's a buy-in that those guys have that it's difficult to pinpoint exactly why because, you know, like, again, like, you, you were a big part of us being in this, this not ideal situation right now. But they just had complete and total confidence that that guy would get it done in the key moment. And Montana had that. Brady had that. Joe Burrow appears to have that. Um, and I, like, obviously, it's early. The guy has got one year now of elite PFF grading, and the year is not over yet. Um, so he could easily come back down to earth next year and regress and not quite be the same player. But right now there is this total degree of buy-in that Joe Burrow is going to be one of the great quarterbacks going forward, and it's difficult to argue with. Yeah, so look, it doesn't mean he's a perfect player. There's definitely room to grow. There's there's a lot um, there's a lot more to do. To, there's, there's more to go for, uh, for Joe Burrow, and it's not, not just him. I mean, in this particular game, the 19-16 to 16 win against the Titans, uh, the Titans did do a really nice job scheming it up, up front, getting that pressure that, and, and finishing those pressures. Um, the importance of finishing and turning him into sacks. We'll talk about that in the Bills-Chiefs game because Mahomes was slithering out of sacks left and right in that particular game. Um, but the Tennessee Titans did a really nice job of pressuring the end of the game now. Hang on, can I, a couple of shout-outs in this game, yeah. I think. DJ Reader was making plays in the run game, the run yeah. game throughout, which was huge. Obviously, Tennessee with Derrick Henry Bank, with Dante Foreman in there, like – DJ Reader was taking it upon himself with, remember, the the Bengals' defensive line banged up, um, missing a couple of guys. They've been, like, calling defensive tackles up randomly throughout the week just, week, just trying to get bodies there. DJ Reader basically personally made it his life's mission to, to stop the run in this game. Did a really good job of it. Um, Clay Johnson was someone I thought, like, so this is a guy who's played, like, less than 50 snaps over the season. Uh, for two different teams, right? Complete, like, bottom-of-the-roster type of guy, um, barely plays, special teams primarily, and then solo tackle off the edge to stop a Derrick Henry two-point attempt, right? Just imagine, like, going from those sort of quote-unquote lows, you know, I'm, I'm not really a consequential person on this team, to... I just made one of the biggest plays of the game on my own against Derrick Henry in goal line defense to yeah. stop two points going on the board. Like just a huge moment for him, uh, which must be pretty awesome as a thing. Uh, and then Mike Hilton had one of the the biggest plays out there, and Mike Hilton has been playing really well recently. They've um, put him on an island against some pretty tough opposition in recent weeks. Goes out there and like single handedly snags himself an interception with a you know batting com- comes on the blitz from the slot. Bats it up in the air, catches his own interception, and uh, off to the races. Jesse Bates had that interception that you said too. Bates did not have in a contract, you know, big contract year. He's looking for a for a deal and all that stuff for a big deal. And his two best games have been the last two weeks, making a ton of plays on the ball. Um, Chidabe Wujie did not have his best effort this particular week, but Wujie and Mike Hilton. Um, 
I feel like we spent 95% of our time talking about the Bengals' offense this offseason, but those two additions yeah. this offseason um, to this defense. The Bengals' defense huge. generally last offseason had an incredible offseason, and it wasn't one that we liked at the time. Like, they essentially decided we're not going to pay William Jackson, we're not going to pay Carl Lawson, we're going to ship those guys off, and those are arguably two of their best defenders, um, and we're going to replace them in free agency. Like, we're not even going to sort of turn to the draft and try and get younger, cheaper players. We're going to pay Trey Hendrickson coming off a career year in which his sack number was kind of inflated relative to how good he was. Uh, we're going to bring in a Wouzier. We're going to bring in Mike Hilton. And they've all worked out. Like, all of those moves have been fantastic. And I think that defense has been upgraded because of it. Uh, Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. So he ends up with three interceptions. That first one that we mentioned, the first play of the game, um, I think the the other two great plays slash unlucky. The other two. So the ones, the Mike Hilton play, which was um, a huge, I mean, absolutely massive play because the Titans, uh, Deontay Foreman just uh, Dante Foreman just reeled off the forty five yard run. Do we have like a, a we we have a ruling on that? Dante versus Deontay. I think it's Dante because people. It's one of those ones where like some broadcast booths are like Deontay. Maybe I just because I heard it, it. I heard Dante the other day. Yeah. I think it's Dante. It should be. <clears throat> it should be. We're professionals. We're supposed to know. Yeah. Can I? So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a claim to you and see yeah. how you react to it. There's not a quarterback in the NFL that I would rather have chasing down his own interception than Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I think that's fair. The a defensive back plucked this one out of the sky, took off running, and was never even close to, to taking that back for a touchdown because Tannehill was like Smoking. reeling him in, yeah. with a at a massive rate of knots. Tannehill then, is, he's got good spatial awareness. Remember, former also, receiver by the way. Yes, yeah. remember also he owns. I can't remember what the highlight thing was, but there was some kind of highlight package I was seeing recently. Where it was, do you remember Tannehill absolutely smoking some guy after an interception or a fumble return? Like he comes from the middle of the field and just buries a dude. Like one of the best tackles you're ever going to see, absolutely lays him out. Uh, there's not a, he's got elite speed. Now apparently he can hit like a train. Does he replace uh, Ben Roethlisberger? Yes. Who did not, it wasn't an interception, it was that fumble that he said yeah. back in 05. Roethlisberger was a tackle in a phone booth kind of guy, whereas Tannehill will hawk you down from wherever you are in the field. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Tannehill, good angle there. Um, I just want to discuss the last interception because the, the end of the game was fascinating. So uh, the Titans have third and five, 28 seconds left. It's a tie game. They're on their own 40-yard line, and it's a simple all-curl call. All-curl. So the, you have the three outside receivers essentially running yeah, it wasn't all curls but it's a curl route that he threw um, they're all running vertical routes well beyond the sticks um, so it's about a 15 yard pass and you know on the broadcast cam it's like oh he forced it it's not i mean it, it's it's a little forced but it's it might be a touch late from Tannehill. this interception though is not on him. This is not like an egregious decision where he threw the ball to the defense. Um, it was a great defensive play that's tipped up, and normally that 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 pass hits the ground ninety eight percent of the time. It's also like if a flag had come out for illegal contact, pass interference, whatever. Like Eli Apple was yeah. pretty hyper aggressive on that play. If they'd thrown a yellow flag, I don't think anybody really would have been complaining. Now you could make the argument that throwing to uh, Westbrook Aquina 
in crunch time or whatever. Tightly covered. Yeah, it's not the smartest thing in the world. Yeah, and, and when you're talking tightly covered, again, you're throwing this ball as, as the receiver's going into his break. You're throwing it. He's in between. Uh, you know, he's, he's in front of the corner, right? right? So he's got to work back to it, and then you presumably make the corner work through the receiver to make the play. Eli Apple played it perfectly. Yeah. And if that – so, again, my, I mean, my only point on this is if that pass hits the ground – as it would 98% of the time, you're just like, oh, okay, good play, Eli Apple. Now we're going to punt, and the Bengals are going to get the ball with about 20 seconds left, and they're going to take a knee, and we're going to overtime. Instead, the ball just got tipped up. Logan Wilson, this wasn't a throw into triple coverage. Right. Like, Logan Wilson's just getting into his zone. He comes back, and the ball lands in his hands. He makes a nice play, turns upfield, uh, picks up some yardage, and then Joe Burrow makes a throw to get the ball into field goal range. Yeah. So all I'm saying is, this wasn't like an egregious late game decision by Ryan Tannehill here. It was a great play by the Bengals' defense to force a turnover. It was, um, and the Bengals' defense made some some legit plays throughout the course of it. We talked about DJ Reader with about seven minutes left. Their defensive line stood on third third and short, and then fourth and short. Um, the first one, it looked like Tannehill could have given that to Derrick Henry and not pulled it himself and gone nowhere like that actually looked like something that might have been converted fourth down was just never they never had a shot like they the Bengals defense had that absolutely blanketed their d stood big in a, in a, a lot of critical plays throughout this game and even like the deep touchdown to aj brown it's pretty tight coverage like that was that was like a teaching tape from aj brown in terms of how you're supposed to do that with late hands is the term right late hands so he did exactly Relatable. what you don't do like the opposite right A.J. Brown basically reacts to that as the ball shows up. And, like, immediate reaction turns, grabs it one-handed, it turns out, because the DB's got that close of coverage. When you react that late, there's literally nothing the DB can do. He can't react in time after your reaction to make any kind of play on the ball or the receiver. That's why they teach that. You apparently do the opposite, where your, your hands are so early that the receiver has re- or the DB has like reacted, wondered why the ball hasn't arrived, mm. and then it, somehow like during the time where he's wondering what the hell is going on is when the ball drops into your hands. You're referring to my 70 yard touchdown against you. I, How many yards was that really? Because I'm probably because there's not an open reason. hell you could get to 70. I have um, I'll have to check the stat sheet, but I have a 70 yard scamper in uh, UMass Lowell yeah. flag football. I don't think you could run 70 yards. 70 yards from the quarterback position. Yeah. Just ran away from the defense. Mm. Just like I ran away from you for at least 50. The great Zach What's Robinson. Running away. One game away from the Super Bowl, Zach Robinson yeah. putting it right, right on my hands. Yeah. Which so, were up. For about eight seconds, yeah. For about 10 yards. Yeah. 10 yards, eight seconds. Yeah, it's about, it's about right. Right. Yeah. So you did the exact opposite of late hands. Your hands were so early that it, it threw everything off from people that play the game of football. I'm back and forth on this uh, Derrick Henry take here. He gets 20 carries, and I know we've seen him, you know, be at 20 for 62 for so long, and then there's your 50-yarder to make it make the yards yeah. per carry look pretty good. But I have to say, throwing the ball to A.J. Brown, who did make that great catch on the 41-yarder. He only uh, A.J. Brown ends up with nine targets. Football's not as simple as throw the ball to the receiver, you know, the same number of times as you hand it to a running back. But, man... A.J. Brown is the real difference maker in this offense. More of a difference maker, I would say, than Henry. And I feel like but this is why you could this feed was, him more. This is possible. why the Derrick Henry thing was always going to be a difficult problem for them to work out. Because 
<clears throat> was Derrick Henry 100% in this game? No, probably not. Um, was he the more explosive Tennessee running back in this game? No. But you know that Derrick Henry has this history of keep giving him the ball, keep, keep loading him up. Late in the game, that's when he breaks off something. Um, so do you keep doing that if he's not 100% or – do you like work out a pivot during the game of like you know what this it's not really Derrick Henry out there it's just a dude that you know looks like him uh, and kind of go away from that late in the game and use him as that decoy now they did that like right at the start of the game right like play number one play action we're not even going to give him the ball yeah do that um, yeah I but I but late in the game you saw those they were still giving him the ball in that fourth and one it's like it's not it's not working like they're they're prepared for it um, I, I think that was always going to be a difficult thing for the Titans. But ultimately, like, Bengals defense stood up big. They made some plays when they need to, and I think they were deserved winners. One last thing. Jamar Chase goes five catches for 109. Uh, The long one was a 57-yarder, just um, quick screen against zero blitz, right? Um, I can't believe how dynamic Jamar Chase is. His ability to make people miss in short areas is, is silly. Yeah, so, like, coming out, I was like, Jamar Chase reminds me of a bigger Antonio Brown. Um, and then I was like, kind of reminds me of Jordy Nelson, too. So, like, these two really high-end receivers. And I may have still underestimated Chase because he's so dynamic in short spaces. I don't think I saw that. No, LSU. you did because you talked the, – the Antonio Brown comp is perfect because, like Antonio Brown, you're like, I don't quite know why this is working. You're right. Because Anton- I had the same – I missed on Antonio Brown because – uh, when I saw him play in college, you're like, I, no, there's no reason that this is making people look as stupid as it is, right? He's not fast. Like, the things he's doing, when you look at his measurables and stuff, he's like an average athlete. And yet he's making people look absolutely stupid through just simple, quick moves, you know, like one quick step this way and then back that way, and a dude is, like, falling over face first and Brown's off to the races. Like, I didn't. I was like, all right, that, that's fine at wherever he was, Central Michigan. But in the NFL, that's not going to cut it unless you're a super athlete. Uh, but it turns out it works. And Jamar Chase is a similar thing. You're like, he, all he did is took one step to his right. Why is everybody, like, lying in the, on the ground nowhere near him? Yeah. So I think it's exactly the same thing. Like, you, you saw it perfectly, it, bigger Antonio Brown. And I don't think we figured out yet quite why that style of play is as devastating as it is, but it, it works. All right, we're uh, 38 minutes into the show, and we're Perfectly done on, with on. the game. We're right on pace. I don't care if we're here for five hours. This is great. It's a great weekend. <laughs> um, it's also great to have our friends at Manscaped back. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. No, don't do it. It's Valentine's Day. It's just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. <laughs> this V-Day... It's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to the leaders and below the waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job, Sam? It's a personal question, Steve. I'll thank you to stay also, out of my business. Also rhetorical. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. I'd like to propose, Manscaped would, uh, making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. That's right. They're putting this forward here. Glad somebody's finally said it. Who's with me? Who's with me? Uh, Also rhetorical. 
I think this one this is one holiday that men and women can get behind. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this. It will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. <laughs> get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code PFF. You're going to be really sad if you fast-forwarded this ad. Yeah. You never fast-forward a Manscaped ad. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. The promo code is PFF. We're on to Saturday night. Only the third craziest game of the weekend. 49ers 13, Packers 10. And we've got a lot going on here. We've got the Aaron Rodgers discussion contemplating his future we've got the Niners going in boy was this just glorious you're you're pro weather game right you said yeah it's Renner that's anti-weather game yeah I could see why after this one but uh <laughs> this was just Lambo and snow and it feels like zero don't go and listen to our preview of this game because you know completely off yeah both of us were like, you know what? I don't know that either defense can stop the opposition here. Like, it's going to be high scoring. Both offenses are going to be sc- are rolling down, scoring at will. Didn't happen so much. Well, the first, the first drive. The first drive made us look smart. And then from that moment on, we looked like idiots. So uh, Packers get up. Part. Packers got up 7 to nothing early. Yes. And it looked like they didn't have a plan for Devontae Adams. And mm-hmm. I thought it was well laid out, I think, on the broadcast where it was like, look, you can't game plan for Devontae Adams because the Packers do a great job of moving him around, and it's Aaron Rodgers' guy. And feels like he can game plan that a little bit, you know? Like, how hard is it to anticipate if he moves to the slot, how do we bracket him? I know. But, but I'm, all I'm saying is after the first drive, I think he had four catches on the first drive. It's like, okay, um, yeah, they're, they're not going to stop him. But then they did a really good job on third down in particular – attacking Devontae Adams and taking him away. Can you explain to me why Green Bay does this time after time after time? Look unstoppable and then stop. Like, this has been their season. You think every time you're like, oh, look, this Green Bay offense is going to roll. They've got Aaron Rodgers. They've got Devontae Adams. Nobody can stop it. They look completely untouchable. And then for giant swathes of play, they just stall and don't keep putting points on the board and all these weird games like Cleveland remember that it was like there was a period in that game where like oh this is going to be an ass kicking like the the Packers are just going to roll and then all of a sudden they stop scoring the Browns claw their way back into it, and it was a nail biter like every single game with the Packers seems to be like this they just they just stall out of their own volition and okay yeah the 49ers defense did a great job after that point and made a lot of plays and Nick Bosa was in like but they just seem to be the architect of their own demise. I don't understand why they're so switch on or switch off as an offense. I don't have a great answer for it. Um, it's not like this happens in every game, but it happens It happens a lot. It happened in 2019. I feel like it was a bigger story and because we were like, we hadn't seen this before, right? It was Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers' first season, and they looked so much better on script. And, and I, maybe that's just the answer. Maybe there are certain teams who are better scripting than they are adjusting. And uh, I thought that the Niners, uh, D'Amico Ryan's getting a lot, of, a lot of hype coming out of this game. And, and this is where I was wrong. I mean, I thought the Niners' defense would get picked apart. I felt like they had been overachieving. I felt like their pass rush 
which was good and solid in this game again. I, I thought their pass rush was going to get negated because Rodgers is getting rid of the ball and getting the ball out of his hands. Um, but this was the interesting thing here is our it was almost like the Packers narrative from two years ago of man they just really need some help for Devontae Adams they really need some help for Devontae it, it felt like it just showed up in this game because they had do it they obviously Rodgers had been putting up ridiculous numbers he's probably going to win back-to-back MVPs it's not like this has been a, a massive weakness that showed up Alan Lazard has stepped up before we've seen Marcos Valdez-Scantling who missed this game but we've seen other guys step up Randall Cobb in this game Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones caught 18 of the 20 passes. Now, there were also plays where if you go back and look at it, Rodgers is locked on to Devontae Adams. Yeah. And when the Niners take him away, he's not looking elsewhere. Late in the game, uh, Devontae Adams was the only wide receiver that had had a target. Like they yeah. literally hadn't even thrown one. Dead. There was yeah. one third down conversion to Lazard, right, for six yards, and that um, was it. But, do you understand what the Packers did with their offensive line? So David Bakhtiari re-aggravated his injury, didn't go in this game, and that was one of the guys they were supposed to be getting back. Um, or, yeah, like uh, Zadarius Smith came back, made an impact. Uh, Jair Alexander was another one, and then David Bakhtiari was supposed to be the third of the sort of big reinforcements that were coming. Re-aggravated his injury, didn't go in the game. And rather than play... Josh Nyman, who'd been the starting left tackle without Bakhtiari for like half the season, they didn't. They put Billy Turner um, at left tackle, Dennis Kelly at right tackle, and Nyman sitting his ass on the bench and not playing at all. Now, it held up okay, but did that not seem like a weird reshuffle to be making? Yeah, I thought so. I mean, turn. Turner did fine at left tackle. He didn't have the best history there. Uh, he played there in the NFC Championship last year. Got Nyman had been pretty good. Like, yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think the line was that Lucas Patrick had a, a poor pass blocking grade. That was pretty much it up mm. front. They were fine, I think, as far as pass protection goes. They the Niners just did a really good job taking away Rogers' first read, and he started to look uh, less comfortable. I would say as the game went on, after that opening touchdown, the Packers uh, here are their drives: fumble, punt, punt, punt. The game book calls this one end of half. This was a blocked field goal. Right. End of half. Punt. Field goal. Blocked punt touchdown. Yeah. And then punt. The Green Bay Packers have the worst special teams unit I've ever seen in my life. It's it's a joke how bad it is. It's really bad. <laughs> it's it's horrendous. It's tough to be that bad at all phases. Yeah. Like, it's a complete failure of the system. The entire Field goal thing. kick, field goal block, punt, punt return. How are they that bad? I don't know. Because special teams, it's another one of those things where you don't need to be great. You just need to be not terrible. Like, just don't – all you have to do is roll out every now and again, punt the ball, kick the ball, you know, cover a punt, cover a kick. Just don't be the reason you lose the game. I see, I How think, hard is that? See, I think that's um, – I'm going to uh, – remind me to bring up <laughs> – a Packers narrative that you're going to love in a minute. Okay. But it's now, when we get to the final four, it becomes narrative season, right? So that when you get to the final four, this is, what, this is what people do. They go, they look at the final four and they're like, this final four tells us that you need X, Y, and Z because this is what the final four has. So this year it's going to be special teams matters, right? Because the Packers didn't get there because of special teams. Um, remember, you tweeted the picture in 2017. The final four quarterbacks were mm. Tom Brady, naturally. Triggered a lot of people, that tweet. Tom Brady, Nick Foles, Blake Bortles, and Case Keenum. Yep. The story coming out of that year was like, see, you don't need an elite quarterback. 
Oh, yeah, you don't need an elite It's a team game. Don't need an elite quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And, like, last year it was Brady and Rodgers, Allen and Mahomes. It was like, okay, you, you can only win with an elite quarterback. Like, like the I narrative just, of the Final Four. That photo just cracks me up because can you imagine, like, you know, in, in eight or ten years' time when Tom Brady's retired – with his 17 rings. Can you imagine showing somebody that picture and being like, this was one of the years he didn't win? <laughs> this was not one of them, right? right? He lost in the Super Bowl to one of these guys. Um, all my, po- my, my point is you're just going to hear people talk about the Final Four and stuff, and this is going to be like a special teams matters thing. Um, I, I just think, much like the offensive line, just don't be horrible. Like yeah. So much of football, like yes, you have to put resources into this. Just don't be a train wreck. It matters, but only insofar as like you just can't be horrendous at it. Green Bay in this game alone blocked field goal, blocked punt, which scored. They had a false start on a special teams. They only had 10 guys on the field for the 49ers game-winning field goal um, after a timeout. Like it wasn't even as if it was, you know, rushed up. Oh, uh, substitution screwed up 10 guys. No, there was a timeout, and you still only got 10 guys on the field for that. Like, what are you doing? That was bad, man. That it's was... not like people don't know who's on the field goal team. <sighs> you had, like, a minute of everybody standing around plotting out how you're going to try and block this kick, which is your only chance to, to not lose this game. And somehow, after, after that, only 10 dudes roll out there. Where was the 11th guy? Like, what was he doing? So, yeah, it was, it was horrendous. <laughs> Have you seen so the Niners did what they could to, to throw this game away too, man. They did yes. what they could. Well, so Jimmy G specifically. So it's seven to nothing Packers. The Niners are hanging in tough before the half. And this didn't this this feel like the the analytics hate field goals, right, Sam? They hate field goals. But they didn't do. it felt like if the Niners can just kick a field goal to make it seven to three, this feels like a massive win coming out of the first half. And the Niners are driving, they're in field goal range, and I think they got backed up on a play. And if you're watching this, aren't you just like, come on, Jimmy. Jimmy, just don't make any bad decisions. And he he throws out of the pocket an errant pass, intercepted. Literally takes three points off the board. Minimum three points off the board for the Niners, which is bad enough. A couple plays later, complete coverage bust, or Aaron Rodgers, just, you know, eye manipulation. Coverage bust, 75-yarder for Aaron Jones. Now it feels like, okay, Jimmy G just made a six-point mistake. Throws the interception, takes three points off the board. Aaron Rodgers gets the ball to Aaron Jones on this busted coverage, 75 yards. Now the Packers are in field goal range, but that's a blocked punt, which of course proves to be, I mean, blocked field goal, which of course proves to be one of the biggest plays in the game. So um, Garoppolo gets away with that a little bit, but the Packers didn't capitalize there. There was, so right at the start of the game, there was a back to back. There was a back-to-back sequence of plays where like, Jimmy G, ironically, starts getting let down by his receivers. Right, George Kittle just drops a clanger over the middle. Yes, um, wide open. Could have been a that touchdown, a maybe. It was a really, oh, yeah, good really good throw, but like not a busted coverage, but a a per- the perfect Forty ers play. Right, the reason that Kyle Shanahan quarterbacks end up leading the league in average yards per attempt is because of plays like this. Completely schemed up. Uh, Kittle breaks to the inside against a lone DB. Essentially, if he catches that, it's a foot race. And George Kittle against a guy trying to tackle him one-on-one, there's a reasonable chance that's a touchdown. Instead, stone-handed drop. They go right back to the play over the middle. The next play hits uh, Juwan Jennings, was it, in the hands? Could have caught it, should have caught it. Kind of, it was tipped underneath. Just still enough. Like, no, I think he got to catch that. Anyway, like two plays back-to-back, 
guys drop it, Jimmy G doesn't get it. And you're like, from that moment on, it was like Jimmy G's like, all right, if you're going to screw me, I'm going to set screwing you. And it was like creating a teaching tape of throws you can't make. It's anytime he was like bothered or wrecked in the pocket, it's like, you know, that idea of the 49ers make Jimmy G throw over the middle of the field more than anything else. And that's why he ends up with so many of these. Like, why did you throw the ball straight to a linebacker plays? Because he targets that area. Like, that's where they attack. It was almost like this is why. Because if you ask him to throw outside the numbers, he's just like lofting up a pass in the general direction of a cornerback and daring the dude to pick it off. It was incredible the terrible throws that Jimmy G was making in this game. So I've compared Garoppolo to Tua before, right, and vice versa. Garoppolo doesn't have a great arm. He wins with he's got a, he's got a good enough arm, quick release, gets rid of the ball, all that stuff. Makes those I mentioned all those throws he makes under pressure, right? Guys in his face and he can get it. They get the throw into the air. But he was throwing late to the flat, which yes. is already a no-no. Right, in Lambeau, like it's zero one. degrees. He probably doesn't have the best velocity on it in this particular in these conditions. Those things were like woo, floating out there, and they, they didn't come back to bite him. He got away with were, a bunch of them. Yes, that's like you know. There's sort of two things that are held up in the you know do nots of quarterback play. One, throw back across your body, you know, general generally into the middle of the field. Now. People like Mahomes and Josh Allen and all these quarterbacks recently are kind of breaking that. But generally, that's one of the golden do-not-dos of quarterback play. The other one is throw late into the flat because the cornerbacks are waiting on those. And if you don't absolutely rifle it in there, they're waiting to pick those off. Somehow he got away with it. Um, I just want to jump back for a second to the, the Green Bay Packers special teams. Now, look, their special teams coordinator is a guy called Morris Drayton. And I'm, I'm not... The man might be a great coach for all I know. I just want to read you a, a section of his resume because it's pretty hilarious. Oh, I like, I like when you do the, uh, the deep research here. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, so he was, in a, he was a graduate assistant at the Citadel. That's where he got to start. One of my favorite college teams, by the way, just for name alone. It's mm-hmm. an awesome name of a school. It should be, they should be great based off that. Sure. Then he went to the Charleston Swamp Foxes. Of course. Uh, from there, he went to the... Cut his, s- cut his teeth with the Swamp Foxes. Right. Then to the... Sina Jokey Crocodiles as a defensive coordinator. Big step up. Mm. Then the Goose Creek High School. Uh, then we went to... Are these lateral moves or is he moving up and down here? I I mean, I don't know what the Sina Jokey Crocodiles are, <laughs> but he was a defensive coordinator there. Then he, he was an assistant coach at Goose Creek High School. Uh, then we went to South Carolina State. Then Coastal Carolina, Southern Miss, the Montreal Alouettes, back to the Citadel. Uh, and then somehow we jumped from the Citadel to the Indianapolis Colts and now the Green Bay Packers as a special teams coordinator. What a fascinating resume that is. It is. Yeah. You don't see an awful lot of Charleston Swamp Foxes to the NFL. I don't know that they've sent many alumni to the NFL. In There's any a reason capacity. for that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Look, the man might be a phenomenal... Special teams mind, for all I know. That being said, that's yeah, have, not the typical pathway your special teams coordinator treads. Yeah, I have no NFL. comment on uh, the coach himself. On the Swamp Foxes? Or the Swamp Foxes. Don't know enough about the Swamp Foxes to make a, an educated statement. Are foxes typically found in swamps? Aren't they more of like a, an urban scavenger? It's a special type of fox. Special fox. A swamp yeah. fox. Yeah, swamp fox. Even. <laughs> um, I just know the special teams unit was bad. 
terrible. Not just bad. All and year. Bad doesn't describe it enough. It was horrific. And it, it cost them the game. So, so all that said, it was 10-3. to 3. Yeah. Green Bay. It's the fourth quarter. It was there was four fifty left in the game, four fifty. So the Packers, uh, Eric Eric Armstead with a huge eleven yard sack of Aaron Rodgers on third and eight. I mean, you could blame the special teams all you want, but the the Packers offense had a lot of opportunities. They had yeah. opportunity after opportunity. All they had to do was put put more points on the board. I know there was a blocked field goal in there, but had to just put points on the board, and they kept getting stopped. And the Niners defense did a great job stopping them. 450 left, the block punt, which is up in the air seemingly forever. And nobody's even going after the ball. And then the Niners pick it up, run it into the end zone. I did think after that point, like Aaron Rodgers looked a little rattled. He looked kind of stunned. I don't wanna I don't wanna extrapolate this too far. Aaron Rodgers is great. He's got a history of being great. But we have talked about and I know people think that he's got some of like the most miraculous comebacks of all time. I think, but generally he's been like a step behind some of the other greats when it comes to that stuff. So the stuff we're talking about with like Brady and Burrow and I didn't think, Rodgers, they still had a chance. It was still 10 to 10 and two quarterbacks had game winning drive opportunities in this game. And Jimmy Garoppolo was the one who came through in that, in that instance. I thought Rodgers kind of uh, pressed a little bit. They come in, they go, he goes incomplete. On, a, um, on an RPO that he holds the ball for like seven seconds. It's his fault that they picked up an ineligible man downfield penalty when he threw it away. He goes in, uh, short pass to Devontae Adams, incomplete to Randall Cobb, incomplete to Devontae, Adam, uh, Devontae Adams down the field. The incomplete to Cobb could have been a pick six. Rodgers threw the ball late to the flat. I mean, that how would that narrative have been? If that mm. like he throws he throws it late and inside, Kwan Williams is like kind of right there at the catch point, almost a pick six opportunity. I thought Rodgers kind of folded in the end there when they had an opportunity to bounce back. He just he just he looked stunned. I mean, his press conference he looked stunned too. Um, he felt like a guy that was getting pretty pissed off at the special teams consistently screwing the team. Right, like, that and, and maybe rightfully so. I mean, look, we're obviously, <laughs> obviously, the Irish league is not quite at the NFL level. You know, the, yeah, tell me about it. The though. careers that I and Aaron Rodgers had are slightly different. Just right? sh- talk about how relatable it was. Yeah, yeah. It's ten to ten in Lambeau, zero a, degrees in the snow. That's Aaron Rodgers. Compare your situation to yeah. Let's get into it. But as a former football player, oh. um, I've been on teams where. Like, your unit is doing fine, and the other unit is not. And and when I say not, really not. You know what I mean? And there is a level to which you start to get pretty pissed off at that. You're like, there's only so much we can do over here. You know what I mean? Can you just make a play, just one, somewhere, and dig us out of this thing, right? Like, I have been on, I've been on either side of a two-to-nothing game, right? And there's, I'm not sure which is more frustrating, but they're both very, very <laughs> annoying. You know what I mean? Oh gosh! And you, you and Aaron Rodgers, you guys should, uh, and should what set I'm up a little is, call for console. Uh, right. What I'm saying is, I can empathize with the frustration that Rodgers was having yeah. in this game. Of can you just not have a blocked kick? Just one. Just any of these, you don't make them. Right. Any one of them, we probably win this game. Just stop getting the kicks blocked. Like I am struggling over here. All I need you to do is kick the ball over there. 
How hard is that? All I'm saying is Patrick Mahomes easily could have had that same attitude, sure. too. He had 13 seconds left down three mm-hmm. in a really soft defense to throw against. But 13 seconds down three, and he was like, you know, Let's do it. There's, so there's two more things I want to talk about in this game. Um, one, they kept making a big deal early in the game about how much uh, Kyle Shannon scripts. You know, the, the famous script. You script the first 15 plays or whatever, and that's how you run an offense. Yeah. Shanahan apparently scripts 24 plays and splits them evenly between runs and passes. I'm wondering, as a, as a kind of practical, f- functional thing, how far do you stick to that script, right? Because the idea generally is you script the first 15 plays on the basis that it, you can have like a 15-play drive and you're, you're good, right? Long 15-play drive, opening, touchdown, boom. Great start to the game. And now we get into the flow. If you script 24, how many series do you stick with that before you're like, you know what, the script isn't really working here, but let's junk it. Because like 24 plays can be like the whole half. Yeah, I don't think it could be like five series worth. I, I feel like we should know this. I'll I'll uh, I'll investigate a little bit further. I'm just curious, like but it's how not, many three and outs before you're like, you know what? Let's just turn to number yeah. sixteen in the ser- in the the script. But like the script, the script is to just it's it's like an information gathering session, right? It's like I got to throw all these things out there to see how the defense is going to responds to them and that'll give us information for further play calling it also doesn't mean that those it's like those 24 in a row because if you're in the red zone five plays in your red zone plays are different from your scripted plays it's got to be you know like neutral situation types of plays like between the 20s right I'm, i'm assuming you're not going with your you know you're not going with your script what's your uh, What's your other, note here? You're not going to read this? Yeah, it's, 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 there's oh, blue, I see. There's yeah, blue yeah. language in there. You can't, <laughs> can't read that out of the podcast. Stop sending me notes while I'm talking. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, coaches are all about the kind of the, the feels in game, right? That's why they deviate from whatever the analytics tells them. And, you know, you can't tell me that it, there are defenses struggling and that it's a bad weather game. My left guard sucks and whatever. Um, and yet in this game, you decide rather than like Green Bay got the ball back and where it looked like they were gonna kind of just let it go to the half, right? Mail mail in the drive, get to get to halftime, get to the locker room, make the adjustments, do whatever. Uh, and then the 49ers took a timeout and were like, "Oh no, nah, you know, we're not letting you into the into the halftime locker room. You go, we're gonna get the ball back and we're gonna score." You essentially just went. Uh, Aaron oh, that was Rodgers. before the 75-yarder, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You essentially went the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, were essentially mailing in that drive and were willing to, to dump it and go to the half. And you're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dare Aaron Rodgers to make a play. And then, like, boom, 75-yard. Now, they got away with it, right, because of a blocked kick. But do you really want to dare Aaron Rodgers to make a couple of plays on you before the half? If it was me, not sure I would want to be rolling that dice. It's actually funny because this uh, – remember the opposite happened in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes, right? The the Niners were so afraid of Mahomes, I believe this was the situation, that they didn't call timeouts like they didn't – or they ran their offense with the fear of right. giving the ball back to Mahomes – because well, I mean, look, it they was, fear Mahomes more than it Rogers, was a low-scoring game, and you know they weren't. No, neither offense was doing an awful lot. On the but it's still Aaron Rodgers. I'm really not sure how much you want to be like 
poking that bear before halftime. If if Rodgers and the Packers are willing to essentially junk their own drive, I would take that as a win and get into the halftime locker room rather than antagonize them and say, no, make a play, because they then did, and you almost got punished for it. All right, here's my high-level thoughts here. Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Sure, he didn't play a good game. No, no, week. he didn't. Really didn't. I don't think he played a good game last week against the Cowboys. Also didn't. All I know is the 49ers this offseason went to great lengths, multiple first-round picks, to trade up and get Jimmy Garoppolo's replacement. And he has only been the starter for two full seasons. Oh, God. And in both full seasons, he's made it to the NFC Championship. Of course, the first one was the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. This one's the NFC Championship. And I, look, again, like I'll, I'll read my tweet from the other day because this is my, my thought. I'm merely stating a fact. I don't have to read the tweet. I mean, that's, that's the fact I'm stating. The two years that Jimmy Garoppolo has been the starter from start to finish, the Niners have been to the NFC Championship at least. The first one was a Super Bowl. That's the fact. Mm-hmm. I'm just stating that fact. Yeah. Right? I'm not saying it's because of QB wins. I'm not saying it's because of Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it is fascinating to me that the Niners spent this offseason finding a Jimmy Garoppolo replacement with massive investment, but when he's on the field, they win a lot. Now, is that is that because uh, C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins are terrible? Uh, I, I talk about the number one graded quarterback in the NFL this year. C.J. Beathard was incredible. I mean, he's maybe he just developed on like Urban three, Meyer. Th- three, th- three throws. Three throws, 95 sure. grade for C.J. Beathard. Great development under Urban Meyer, who gets a bad rap for not developing C.J. Beathard the way that he did. Um, I did think a big part of the trade-up was because coming into the year, Jimmy Garoppolo had played 48% of the games in which he was supposed to start. I did think it was as much his durability as his performance, right? That they were equal parts in why the Niners wanted to move on. But do you read this as... And one more thing. This is Kyle Shanahan's first hand-picked quarterback. The first quarterback that he hand-picked was Jimmy Garoppolo. They traded for him. They signed him to a massive contract. First hand-picked quarterback. His second hand-picked quarterback is Trey Lance. So does this mean Kyle Shanahan, give him Jimmy Garoppolo or better... And that dude's just going to win. Ridiculous. You know, crazy town. They're going to they're, they're be in the mix as long as his starting quarterback's healthy. Or that, you know, Trey Lance, if, they, if he develops, is going to take this offense to the next level. Like, how do you read that? Because I'm just stating facts here. When Jimmy Garoppolo's on the football field, the 49ers win 70-plus percent of their games, which is at the same level as Rodgers and some of these other top quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, I think... Kyle Shanahan's offense is generally a massive signal booster for quarterback play. So Nick Mullins has some numbers to put him on, like a graphic with Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes, right? The idea, like Nick Mullins, is one of the most productive quarterbacks on a like per game basis in NFL history. But Nick Mullins is a not a good quarterback. C.J. Beathard was able to have success. Like this offense makes quarter like. Exactly that throw we were talking about, the first quarter to George Kittle. That could easily have been like a 70-whatever-yard touchdown for an expected throw from the quarterback, right? It was a nice throw. He put it where it should have been. The, the Kittle dropped it. But, like, you would expect every single quarterback in the NFL to make that throw routinely. Those are there all the time in this offense. That's what happens. Um, 
I also think that Jimmy G is better than those other guys and making most of those throws. Uh, but, like, George tweeted this last night, that Jimmy G in his last four games has 10 turnover-worthy plays. And I think that's being kind to some of those ones late in the flat in this game, which probably weren't turnover-worthy, but were, like, let's say, <laughs> tempting fate. Uh, and two big-time throws. But he's won three games. Like, there is a degree to which this offense is succeeding in spite of Jimmy G. He hasn't been punished as much for those turnover-worthy plays as he could, probably should have been. And I was wondering at some point during this game where they were, like, struggling through the sequence of, like, Jimmy G prayers to the flat, we were like, what is he there for? Like, the only reason we're not starting Trey Lance right now is because we don't think Trey Lance is capable of reining in the mistake plays, right? We think he's not quite ready. He's going to... He's going to throw a bad pass, and that's going to put us in a hole. Well, like, Jimmy G's out here doing that as well. Like, what, what's the difference? Trey Lance will at least bring some, A, big-time throw capability, and, B, threat with his legs. Like, there's upside to him as well as the downside. So if Jimmy G is going to provide the downside as well, why are we not starting him? So I kind of think that at this point, why is there at least not a Trey Lance package in there? I keep asking myself. Right. I think at this point, they are kind of riding their luck a little bit in terms of getting away with the mistakes that Jimmy G is making. Now, okay, a lot of the time he makes some good things happen as well, but like at some point, you can't keep pitching the ball to the defense. I also want to say, he's, he, Garoppolo was good in 2019, 13th graded quarterback, but they also won an NFC championship with him throwing the ball eight times. Yes. And they also, in the Super Bowl... And that was like the game plan here as well. He had 20... Uh, 23 dropbacks. Yeah, and in the Super Bowl, couple missed throws, especially the one, the deep post, that Niners are Super Bowl champs if he hits one of those throws, yes. right? Um, but that fine of a line. It's just a fascinating discussion. Also, remember, I mean, this is a good team. Like, preseason, this was a team a lot of people liked before injuries hit them and derailed the whole thing. It's sure. not quite as good as it was a couple of years ago, but this is still a team that... It belongs in the NFC Championship game. I know it looks like the odd one out because of the quarterback, but this team, I think, is worthy of being in the final four NFL teams. It's not like a – this isn't a sort of fraudulent side that's just managed to roll there through luck. It, it is a good team, a really special offense, potentially. I know they only put up 13 points, but like just unique and the weapons they can deploy and the offensive line and all these kinds of things. It's a – schematically smart team and a very good group and they deserve to be there so like you know you do just need a quarterback that isn't going to screw it up we by the way did you also see that play i know you saw because i sent it to you the where they put trent williams I was, in that, was, that was where i was going next God. yeah everybody was talking about it sam not just you no it was just me uh i saw it on the replay i'm also torn on this yeah broadcast. they the offense scored six points in this game the offense scored six points i mean yeah. that would be your argument against jimmy garoppolo in general because um, may, I don't think we're overrating Kyle Shanahan and his genius and all that stuff, but the offense still scored only six points. But little stuff like putting Trent Williams, the best tackle in football, in motion, in re- not just in motion, but snapping the ball while he's in, while he's in motion, yeah. running power behind him on a toss play was fantastic. They ran it again the second time. They ran power more um, more downhill. It didn't work. Everybody's like, what's that play call? Like, the people that were complaining about the play call, I think were just – I mean, it was, it was power behind a motioning Trent Williams. That was fine. How fine. is this not – like, football has been – this is a game that's existed for like 100 years. How is this the first time somebody's thought to do that? I mean, presumably somebody in the single wing era did it. 
But like Pete, yeah, and and people recently have done it with like tight ends, and and the Ravens have done it with Patrick Ricard, the fullback. But like, how has nobody thought before to just you take your left tackle, you make him the tight end on that side, and you put that dude in motion, and instead of like a pull block where the guy can only start moving post snap, you know he's got to take that little step backwards to get himself some space, and then start looping around. You literally just have this guy sprint in motion across the formation, so that when the ball is snapped. He's about to bury the defensive end on that side, and there's this, nothing that guy can do about it. This is why I can't believe they're not using Trey Lance for 8 to 10 plays a right. game. I can't believe it. Like, if people, the guy that he made contact with was Rashawn Gary, who, by the way, was fantastic in this game. Yeah. Like, almost unblockable. Rashawn Gary is like 280 pounds, and you're like, oh, that poor guy. He has, like, he's just, he's like a, he's like a car on the train tracks just getting annihilated by the intercity that like blasts through him like a 280 pound dude was literally cannon fodder from in motion trent williams on that play so think about all this right they're playing we, we've used the phrase positionless football before they've got a tackle as a moving h-back yes. basically they ran that formation earlier this year i can't even remember the exact breakdown but basically a receiver was playing tight end the fullback was playing receiver the receiver was playing running back. I mean, they, you know, Debo was in the backfield. Juszczyk was out wide. Ayuk had his hand in the dirt like a tight end. They're just they're breaking positional football rules, which is a big part of Debo Samuel and all that stuff. Which, by the way, that's the other part of this. To set up... Debo's so good. He is so good. To set up the game-winning field goal. They go third and seven. Trap play. Same thing that they, uh, they used Raheem Mostert a couple years ago. Uh, to break off a long touchdown against the Packers. Trap play and Debo, uh, Debo just runs through contact, man. He is a special, special player. You just don't find receivers. I do remember, I forget the exact note that I wrote down with him in college, scouting, just being like the tenacity, like the the way he runs after the catch, he is just getting after it. Like the dude just plays hard. And I think that is one of those traits that does translate to him um, as a running back. Um, but Debo picks up the first down, and that set up the Robbie Gold game-winning field goal. But He averaged three yards per carry after contact, which is like a Derrick Henry number. Yeah, I mean, the Packers did as, as well as they could and against the Dude was the banged up. Like, he took a yeah. shot to the ribs in that game. He was hobbled after the big play that he made. Like, he was fighting through some pain and still did what he does. The... Um yeah, he was he was incredible. I got to the point he looked like he was in so much pain. I think I texted you about Alex. Like, remember we were so afraid of Alex Smith taking a hit when he came back. That's mm-hmm. what I felt about Debo. But he took the hits. He was uh, he was great. So that's all I want to say about Trey Lance. I can't believe they're not using Trey Lance because of this positional football, this this positionless football stuff, and just putting the defense in a bind. Are they going to unleash him at some point? Because I, you know, despite their history against the Rams, I think they're going to have to score. A lot of points against the Rams. They got to they got to pull out everything they can to beat the Rams, and then you know the Chiefs, or the Bengals, whatever it is, if they're going to win a Super Bowl. But yeah. it does seem weird that they're not using him at all. Like they they went. I mean, early, early in the season, he was on the field for like five snaps a game, doing you know short yardage or whatever. And then all of a sudden, it was like, nope, no more. She's not going to play. Like if we need him, yeah. if the if Jimmy G's hurt, he'll start. But after that, Lance is he's a, on the sideline. He is a dynamic runner. Yeah, and with the starts that he had. When he got out of the pocket, he is out of the pocket in a hurry on those rollouts, and he opens up the field. Like, you have to cover the whole field 
when Trey Lance is out there, which is what the Niners do offensively. That is how they play the game, which is like, here, cover every inch of grass, figure it out. Um, and Trey Lance does help that. So I'm, I'm interested, interested to see if they do every single week. We're going we're gonna to ask for it. <sighs> we're halfway through. We're on pace for the uh, – we'll be under three hours here. Hmm. This makes up – we left a half hour on the table in the preview show. This makes up for it. Only four teams remain in the NFL playoffs, and that means only four teams left for you to bet at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're counting down to Super Bowl 56, and new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. You bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If you're not a new customer, that's fine. You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. You can combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your mind, your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're on to Sunday's games. Rams 30 bucks 27 crazy game it was 27 to 3 rams yeah 20 everybody's making their 28 to 3 jokes get it to 28 to 3 tom brady's got your right where he wants you and all that stuff and it looks like a game where you're like there's no comeback happening here like even if the bucks offense somehow manages to get just execute some plays and move the ball and actually get some points on the board like their defense can't stop anything like this was it it really didn't look like there's any way back in this game for tampa bay and then all of a sudden the rams were just like no just take as many turnovers as you need we'll make this close don't worry about it yeah this was uh this was nuts i mean this i mentioned on the pff nfl daily where we just gave a quick a quick reaction. We tried to, you know, take this whole weekend and react in 12 minutes at the high-level stuff. This was, you know, the, the Falcons' 28-3 comeback had some, you know, defensive plays in there and stops and all that stuff. But that was Brady leading a ridiculous comeback with a little bit of help. This was the Rams trying to throw the game away. Yeah. With a bad snap. Uh, Cam Akers fumble, which again, you, you know, and Dominican Sue forces it. Cam Akers fumble, however you want. Two wanna. different fumbles from Akers, though. Two different fumbles from Akers, right? I mean, the, there was the one at the very end that gave the Bucks the chance to tie it up. Cooper Cup fumble, like Cooper they Cup just fumble, kept throwing the ball away. The Cam Akers fumble before the half took at least three points off the board because mm-hmm. um, he fumbles. The Bucks recover, and you know, just they, the Rams just didn't get a field goal opportunity. Um, and then at the end of the day, the the play call that's going to be discussed. Would be discussed like crazy if you didn't have a, uh, an even you know crazier game happen after it. Todd Bowles zero blitz. Matthew Stafford throws it up to Cooper Cup, hits him in stride to get into field goal range. They they run down with no timeouts left, mind you. Uh, Rams run down, spike it, kick the game winning field goal. Um, and this was the tweet I got right. Too much time left for Cooper Cup, who uh, on the last two plays, as I mentioned on the daily. In-man coverage made his defender fall and then ran by the defense for the 70-yarder to set up the game-winning field goal. Yeah. Um, I, I, this game was really interesting because 
Tristan Wirfs didn't go at all. So we made this point in the preview show that like a, the health of Tristan Wirfs is going to be a really important thing because Brady, the least pressured quarterback in the NFL over the course of the regular season, um, and we saw immediately Tristan Wirfs gets hurt against the Eagles, and in that game, he wasn't just pressured; he was sacked four times. So like, that's a really it's a really stark example of just how fragile that whole thing is, right? You go from the best pass blocking in the NFL or one of the best to your right tackle's hurt, and all of a sudden you're just getting buried by a, you know, a decent defensive front, but certainly one that the Rams can match. Worfs didn't go at all. Um, high ankle sprain is usually a thing that keeps a guy out for a while. So Josh Wells starts. And Josh Wells was not 100% healthy either. That guy had been on the injury report all week with a quad injury or something. I think he hyperextended his knee last week in the game as well. There were plays in this game where you're like, that guy's hobbled. Like, he can't – he's not – He's not, he's not right. Like, he's just not good. Uh, so very quickly, the Bucks realized that, like, okay, we need to help him out basically every single play. Like, we've got to put all the help on that side. And the Rams, I think, were doing – so the upshot of all this is Brady's under more pressure in this game than he's typically used to. And his average time to throw was, like, 2.2 seconds, which is about as fast as it gets. Pretty low average depth of target. But we're just trying to survive here because the line is getting its ass kicked. Um, and then the Rams on defense, I think we're doing really smart things to maximize how big of a problem that was for Tampa Bay. So Aaron Donald was spending a few snaps matched up on the edge and just like running through uh, Wells. But they were also, I think, so you would think that, okay, we got a weak link on that side. Let's put Von Miller there, our best pass rusher, and just have Von Miller destroy this guy one-on-one. But I think the Rams realized that, you know what? we can win against this guy with people that aren't Von Miller. So what if we put Von Miller on the other side, now knowing that all of the help is going to be on Wells, and that means Von Miller is going to be one-on-one with Donovan Smith basically the whole game. Yeah. So as big a problem as Wells was, and it was probably the biggest problem that they had because it meant they needed to help him out basically every snap, the bigger impact was arguably made by Donovan Smith getting wrecked by Von Miller because he's one-on-one the whole time, and they need him to hold up because they don't have any help anymore. All the help is on the other side of the line. So all of a sudden, the Rams are just like three-fifths of that offensive line is getting beaten because you've got Wells needing help every play. You've got Donovan Smith getting wrecked by Von Miller, and you've got Aaron Donald just destroying whoever he's lining up against on the inside because he's Aaron Donald. And then, like, so this was like, I mean, I I was asking you yesterday, when was the last time Brady was dealing with this big a problem on the offensive line? It's a like it's a long time ago. It was a Von Miller game. It was the 2015. <laughs> 15. That's like six years ago. It was the 2015 AFC Championship. That was the worst offensive line. Maybe we don't have Brady's early career, but maybe probably the worst offensive line Brady played behind that year in 2015. And that was the game where the the Broncos. Uh, shut down the Patriots offense they won 20 to 18 going to the Super Bowl um that was probably the last time Brady was under no it wasn't the last time he was under pressure 40 plus percent of the time the Eagles actually in the Super Bowl where he uh threw 500 the Eagles pressured over 50 uh, 40 percent of the time in that Super Bowl as well but this felt like the most like this felt similar to that uh no fly zone Broncos defense as far as pressure and coverage Working together, and it, you know, I just think at the end of the day, the Bucks being depleted with their original receiving core, 
in on the offensive line was too much. The Rams just dominated up front. Uh, Brady, during the regular season, had been hit while throwing. So we classify all these incompletion types. Hit while throwing to force an incompletion, right, where your arm gets hit and all that stuff one time, all regular season. I don't have the official number here. It had to at least be four in this game that where Brady was hit in his throwing motion to force an incompletion. So, um, And then he just, when he did have a clean pocket, was a little fidgety, right? Like you're still kind of feeling it which is yeah that's, but that we talked about that like so much that but it, that's also like if your first read's not there okay get into that second read like you're just you you're rushed and brady was either under pressure or rushed pretty much every like his own doing rushed the impact, on every drop back yeah that's the impact of pressure it's why it's so much more important than just like getting you know obviously every time you rush you want to get a sack but pressure makes an impact that is that resonates beyond just the play like Brady, Brady for the regular season was the only quarterback in the NFL pressured on less than 20% of his dropbacks. So one in five, less than one in five, he's feeling pressure. In this game, it was 44% of the time. So more than twice as often as he's typically pressured was how much he was getting pressured in this game and almost one in every two uh, dropbacks in this game. And that that means that, okay, for for those 44% of the dropbacks, you are under pressure. You actually have to get the ball out or adjust or do whatever you do. But it means that, like, if literally every other play you're getting pressure, the the play you're not getting pressure, you're probably thinking it's coming. So there was, like, one play late in the game where he had time to find the dude and was just, yeah, it's coming. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't stop. You can't turn that off. Once you're deep in the game and you've been feeling pressure the entire time, you, you expect it. Even when it's not there, your brain is just anticipating that heat is coming, and you can't simply switch that off for the one clean pocket you get in the critical situation to find the dude that's open. I also thought, you know, we talked about it before the game, okay, Tristan Wurst is out. How do, how do the Bucks balance this? And my prediction was more 13 personnel, so more three tight end sets. And I think we saw that. I thought the Bucks, in that respect, did a pretty good job of putting more tight ends on the field, because they have three to work with, with Gronk, Cameron Brate, and O.J. Howard. So they did that a little bit. I also thought they'd run more play action. They only ran like 5% play action rate. But one of them was Brady turns his back, and then Donovan Smith blindside. There's a strip sack by Vaughn Miller. So maybe that's why they didn't want to do that. But I thought the play action game, the Bucks use less play action. They're, they're like at the bottom three in the NFL. I thought they'd use more play action just to slow down the rush a little bit. And they didn't. And, and I don't know if they got a little gun-shy just because of the strip sack or what, but I thought that was one way to maybe slow down the rush. Or if you just don't want Brady to turn his back to the defense because they might be on you in two seconds. I'm also surprised that they didn't lean more on Leonard Fournette in the game. Playoff yeah. Lenny. Um, obviously had two rushing touchdowns, but 13 carries for 51 yards in total. Early in the game... Like any first down they were picking up was Fournette. A couple big runs. He had nine catches, I think, as well. Like he he was a part, a big part of the offense. And obviously, when you go down by 24 points, like the game script is kind of going out the window and you can't necessarily just lean. But like for a big portion of this game, they simply were not, there was no offense. Like they could not function. And the only thing that was working was Leonard Fournette and on the ground, like. The more you run the ball, the less you're exposing Brady to pressure and these hits and all those kinds of things. I was a little bit surprised that he wasn't a. They weren't more determined to feature him as as the thing that the offense was uh, was was based on. Um, 
but they were apparently comfortable in letting Brady do that. All right, we'll circle back a little bit to the Bucks offense when we talk comeback. But the Rams got up early because they were pretty much unstoppable offensively. And then when it seemed like the Bucks might have a stop, third and 20, and call it a coverage bust, call it Stafford's eye manipulation, call it whatever you want. Look, it's time to have an intervention for Dano. Dano, buddies with Matthew Stafford, former teammates, the backup quarterback to Stafford. Dano can never can Dano sees no wrong in anything Stafford ever does. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. He's the man's hero. It's 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 it, you know bless him right. It's it's sweet. It's quaint. It's it's nice. You know, but it's not it's not accurate. It's not it's not you know actual football analysis. So when you've got plays like this, it's like. Get complete coverage breakdown in the Bucks defense. They're running Tampa two, and the safety basically lets the like he gets caught going to the inside receiver. The outside receiver is just left wide the hell open down the sideline, and it's a huge play. And everyone's like, "Oh, look at that coverage bust in the defense." Dano's like, uh, "Sorry, I respectfully disagree. This is not a coverage bust. This is Stafford making magic happen with his eyes." You're like, "Look." Every coverage bust is forced in some way. You know what I mean? Like, they don't just randomly run to the wrong spot on the field. There's something about the offensive play that causes the bust, you know? That doesn't stop it being a coverage bust. That's, that's why, like, literally the idea that somebody is not covering, like, a, a, a receiver makes it a bust. That's what it is. You can't it, be like, nah, that's not a coverage bust. That's Stafford. It's also really interesting because you had a bunch of NFL safeties being like, no, it's just bad safety play. Just uh-huh. bad safety play. Just bad safety play, right? right? So, like, how do you define a And by the way, like, this bust? is not a complicated – it's, the, like, the specific coverage we're running here. It's Tampa 2, so, right? So we have – We're not running the most exotic thing in the world here. Right. There's fairly established rules about this thing. The safety is supposed to split the two verticals, and then, you know, you generally have enough time to react to the ball in the air, right? You see the quarterback throw – you react to the ball in the air because it's going to be 40 yards down the field. Uh, Edwards was well out of position, and it's a wide open. Uh, and yes, Stafford. This was the 70-yard touchdown. Sorry, this wasn't the 70. Uh, the Cooper Cup one was not 70. Before. And yes, Stafford did look him off. Like Stafford's eyes were middle slash, you know, lean and left to try and get the safety over there. He did manipulate him. On the other hand, like this is standard practice for quarterbacks. Like you're not, like that's. You're not necessarily supposed to have your eyes purely on the quarterback as a deep high, you know, deep half safety in Tampa 2. You're supposed to be aware of the fact that, like, there's two, there's two routes heading vertically in your general direction. You need to be involved in both of them because you're playing the deep half. Like, this, again, this is, not, this is not the first thing, the first time this has ever happened. This is relatively routine. So, yes, yeah, Stafford made a great play, but it was a coverage bust. <sighs> yeah, it was, uh, but that was a that was a massive play in the game. Look, I thought I thought Stafford played a played a really good game. Now, all that said, he uh, he was really good early. He did throw a pass in the end zone that what was, was dropped. That pass? I don't know because the receiver ran a dig, and it looked like he was throwing a curl, but there was no reason to throw a curl. Yeah, and it, it was, was one it of those ones that was so off. It was behind by three yards. Yeah. Which and it was an, like a red zone play, right? So, yes, it would have been an interception in the end zone. But but I mean, just in terms of the ball wasn't traveling a long way sure. for you to be three yards off. You know right. what I mean? Like that, it was so far off that you 
my default assumption is that's not just an inaccurate throw. That's some form of weird breakdown from communication standpoint, right? I don't. I generally assume that an NFL quarterback is not missing a 15-yard throw by three yards of accuracy for no reason, which is the alternative to that suggestion. So, you know, somebody at some point tweeted me in the game that like, oh, Stafford hasn't had the meltdown throw yet. And I was like, well, he did. He just had it in the first quarter, and the Bucks didn't come up with it. This is this is all we're saying. Like when we're grading every play on every play, uh, every player on every play, like you're you're not having the same emotional reaction to the dropped interception or have or the narrative's going to change. Well, you literally forget about it. Like yes. people come away from that game they're like, "Oh, Stafford hasn't had the bad throw yet." Like it, it happened. Now, like, was that officially and then he almost fumbled at the um on the last play. I think they ruled it a fumble on they? the last drive. Have you checked? I haven't officially checked. Let me check. Um we have breaking news though because we do have astute listeners. Yeah. And viewers really who are watching us live. Drew Forsyth has already emailed us with an answer to the uh, the Swamp Fox, Sam. <laughs> the answer, what was the question? Well, we asked what a Swamp Fox is. Oh. Remember? Yes. We have an answer. The Swamp Fox, you'll like this, was a revolutionary war figure who ran a guerrilla-style campaign in the South. It's not even an animal. It's a person. Yeah. His name was Francis Marion, and he was depicted in a 1959 TV series by Leslie Nielsen. Really? <laughs> who was, and, and Drew goes on to say, who was in the naked gun? He was. He which, was. Um, obviously, as your trivia specialty, you know that Leslie Nielsen was in the naked gun. But thank you, Drew. That was great. Well done. And I don't know if this was just common knowledge by Drew or if this was like, hey, I'm going to uh, search this right now. Known yeah. for his cunning and resourcefulness. How about yeah. that? Huh. All right. Leslie Nielsen depicting the Swamp Fox back in the late 50s. Okay, a little part of me is disappointed that it's not a uh, an actual animal. There you go. Look, it's a pretty cool logo. I like that. Okay, we're getting that. We're getting <laughs> we're the Swamp to... Fox's hoodie. Yeah, we need you need a you need a Swamp Fox's need hoodie. A Swamp Fox's hoodie. Yes, for uh, Packers special yeah, teams. Good for that. Um, it's not rule of fumble. It was just a just a sack. Okay, great. So that would have uh, that would have hurt his grade even further. Yeah, but like that it. that was another one where it's like you know Stafford is threatening. To do something terrible, but like the the intercept or the the bad throw, you can literally pause that play. There's a frame where the ball is in the hands of the safety. You know what I mean? So like that changes everything. All of a sudden, Stafford does pitch the ball right to the defense, and we're like, oh, there it is. There's Stafford having a meltdown again. But yeah, they didn't, so, they didn't come up with it, so we don't like literally people people completely forget that play happened. So I think the Rams. Completely dominated up front, right? So at the same time, you have Josh Wells struggling in a backup role, and the Rams are uh, the the Bucks offensive line is getting whooped. Uh, Chris, the boss, Joseph Nopum, Joe Nopum on the other side wow. did a really nice job. Now he's facing JPP, right? Who has um, he's not a good pass rusher, certainly not anymore. Anymore, this like is he the used first to be good. Game, playoff game he'd lost. Yeah, he, he was, was nine. Was it nine and zero or seven and zero? He'd never. Yeah, because he was part of those Eli teams that only won. Right, and in then the Super Bowl. I mean, <laughs> the, the one Bucks last year. Like, the Bucks last year. Dude, it was, just, it was the first time he's lost. Dominant playoff player, JPP. Um, uh, now we got Ben Stockwell chiming in on the Swamp Foxes. <laughs> the Swamp Fox, brackets the guy was one of the inspirations for Mel Gibson's character in that awful movie, The Patriot, is what Ben says. What? What? He didn't like The Patriot? 
Patriot was terrible. What are you talking about? Patriot was solid. <laughs> Patriot was awful. It was no Braveheart. You, did you like Braveheart? Yeah, Braveheart was good. Oh, okay. Patriot was terrible. Just because it was... They were equally, like, historically inaccurate, but Braveheart was at least cool. You were biased across the pond. In the British Isles. <laughs> In the British Isles. Austin, it turns out, needs your diagram. We need to find it again for him. He's, he, he's just... What does he think? You're over, world. like... Like Far East or something. He was like blown that. up. He he couldn't understand. I think that Ireland was different from from the UK. He didn't understand. We hey, have, look, we have, he hasn't had your diagram. That's all I'm saying. We all just need to be educated. That's true. Um, I don't mean to derail this any further. Yeah. Um, because this certainly would have. But there was. Uh, I didn't get to my big Packers take. I, I don't know if we have to save this. <laughs> um, it's from Bucky Brooks, and I feel like the Wednesday show, or maybe a daily. We could go through Bucky Brooks' entire timeline because huh? it's interesting. I, I, I don't. I respect Bucky. Right? He comes from a. We're scouting. always looking for new video ideas in the PFF channel. It would just be you scrolling through Bucky's timeline. All I'm saying is the if you're looking for the final four narrative stuff that I was talking about, <laughs> Bucky's timeline it's just the narrative is in a that. Nutshell. <laughs> I mean, it's just like. Let this be a lesson that you need to draft athletes. Let this be a lesson that your special teams matters. And he's got it like this historical Packers take um, about the way their team is built. I, I don't think we can squeeze it into the show. Okay. Should I read it anyway, though? Now that I've. I mean, if it's short, if we've got to explain We've got to push they... this discussion somewhere else. But from 1939 to 2001, yeah. at Packers, he tags the Packers. Of course. We're 14 and 0 at home in the playoffs, but they're 7 and 7 at Lambeau, per Pro Football Talk, who did all the research there. Got to wonder if their playing style is best suited for cold weather. Lombardi's squad were smash mouth units built on Packer sweep and defense. Just a thought. Thinky face emoji. So. <laughs> So Bucky's just just throwing it out there. Maybe the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Packers were not equipped to win in Lambeau like Lombardi squad. Huh. So uh, all I'm saying is Bucky didn't Brett Favre. Win? I'm not going to sit like, here and trash Bucky Brooks. Favre was like undefeated at Lambeau for years until, until Vic beat him. Until Michael Vick rolled yeah. in. All, I'm not going to sit here and trash Bucky Brooks and his takes or whatever. All I'm saying is there. It's an interesting thought exercise because. I also think he was the one who tweeted, You're, you, can, you can win with a non-elite quarterback here in 2017 NFL, right? I mean, that's, so it, it might be worth maybe our Wednesday show or something going through all of the final four assumptions that have been made here when every single game came down to a field goal. I mean, if, like, yeah. if the Titans game goes the other way, it's like, let this be a lesson. You need a 250-pound running back named Derrick Henry. Like, you know what I mean? It's going both ways here. Wasn't this the one game where you're like, if, if it wasn't as close as the final score, it, it like the final score flattered Tampa Bay here. Like somehow they got back into this, they tied yeah. it up, and then the Rams ended up winning anyway. But like the Rams, like this should have been a beatdown. Yeah, they so, were annihilating Tampa Bay, and then were the architect of the comeback themselves by throwing the ball away a million times. Now, so ironically, think- it wasn't Stafford doing it because. This is the thing we've been saying is like, can you weather the inevitable Stafford meltdown that seems to happen every couple of games, right? So far, hasn't happened in the playoffs. Stafford has won his first two playoff games ever and personally has played a reasonably clean brand of football. Now, as we say, there was that throw to a safety in the end zone, which would have changed things. Um, But that was it, right? One bad play, the last drive, that, that almost fumble could have also been catastrophic as well. But generally... Stafford played 
pretty damn well in this game. Yes. Uh, I, it was everybody else tossing the ball away. So you come out of this and you're like, all right, if you rerun that game five times, the Rams win by an average of like 15 points, right? Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, Brady, Brady makes the, the 50 yard, 55-yard touchdown to Mike Evans, which was a, a fantastic throw, but very much of this comeback was Rams-driven. Yeah. So as much as I'm talking about Bucky and extrapolating into this Final Four and all that stuff, I do think it's fair analysis to look at the Rams, who we dissected probably more than any team as far as their strategy goes this offseason and in season, and say this is paying off for the Rams. Now, of course, you would... You know, you could say, look, it's it's got to be Super Bowl or bust. And if they lose one of the next two games, hey, they just threw two picks away for Von Miller. But like from a team building standpoint, is this not worth it? And maybe that's part of the Wednesday show as well. We get into that much I mean, further. It but is, it's paying off, right? But the whole point is the whole thing is a design on winning them a Super Bowl this year. But so far, it's very difficult to argue with the success of the very clear strategy that this team has had, which is, A, we trade for proven NFL quality assets because we think those are more valuable than, like, the lottery ticket of the draft. And, B, we stuff all of our eggs into a very small number of baskets, right? So our our team is essentially constructed around five players. We have Matthew Stafford. We have, Od- uh, we have Cooper Cup. We have Aaron Donald. We have Jalen Ramsey. And then we bring in Von Miller to make the fifth. Uh, okay, there's some other important players as well, like Andrew Whitworth has been a rock for them, but Whitworth didn't play in this game. Odell Beckham was a big thing as well, replacing some of the production from Robert Woods and some of that role as well. But generally, we're talking about like five guys versus a, a out of a roster of, or a game day active roster of 45. Really small number of important players. All of those five are playing well right now, right? Yeah. Von Miller just had one of his best pass rushing games ever. Like, finally looked like old Von Miller, like unstoppable rush threat. He's been an elite run defender the whole way, but this was him as good as he's ever been as a pass rusher. Aaron Donald is just a freaking wrecking ball inside. Uh, Matthew Stafford has had those clean games and shown really big plays in key moments in those two playoff games. Uh, Jalen Ramsey... All right, whooped on the touchdown. Outside of that was causing real problems in terms of taking away Mike Evans and forcing Brady to go somewhere else. Like, generally speaking, the the whole idea of what they're doing, piling all these resources into a really small concentration of people, it's working. And that's something that, like, people have been hating on for a while. Now, does it all fall to pieces if one of those guys gets injured? Maybe, but... Right now, it's a gamble that's paying off. Yeah, it is. So especially the in-season pickups of Von Miller and OBJ, they're both playing well. They're both making massive contributions. Von Miller, uh, we said at the time, he's the best edge rusher that has ever played with Aaron Donald. Yeah. In, that, in, in a game like even yesterday. Now, like even his current state of Von Miller. Yeah, yeah, current, current Von Miller, which is a declining... Right. Later career Von Miller, though he didn't look like it yesterday. He looked like 2015 Von yesterday against Donovan Smith. That makes them so dangerous in a game like this. Um, and so in, in, in these games where we're talking about, hey, the defensive fronts did a really nice job. This was another one where the Rams defensive front did so much. And then I think there are some disingenuous Stafford equals Goff takes out there because they're comparing Stafford to – Goff was pretty good in 2017, but especially like in 2018. But there's something different. Remember, what was Goff's kryptonite? 
in 2018. What was the Rams' kryptonite in 2018? The zero blitz, right? Uh-huh. There's cover four. There's two coverages, cover four, quarters, <laughs> and zero blitz, right? So when you talk about, I mean, there's, people are throwing EPA numbers out there, right? Yeah, Goff's was the same as Stafford's this year and that year, whatever. When it came down to crunch time, Jared Goff, zero blitz in the Super Bowl, throws a pick to Stephon Gilmore as, when they're driving. In this game, Todd Bowles, for some reason, draws up a zero blitz when the Rams have no timeouts and have one shot to get into field goal range. Zero blitz, Stafford recognizes, puts it up early, puts it on Cooper Cup's hands. It was fantastic. I just thought, clearly, Matthew Stafford has up, upgraded this Rams offense. Now, it doesn't mean Matthew Stafford has played maybe at the same level as the very elite quarterbacks in the NFL, but he has upgraded this offense from where it was the last couple of years and even overall, I think, where it was in 2018. If for nothing else, Stafford has the high-end games in him, and this overall felt like really good Stafford outside of maybe like a throw or two in this game. Yeah, it was. So the Rams' moves are paying off is what I'm saying. Yeah. And it is, a, it is part of this storyline and good on Stafford for making those throws when he when he needed to right and the Stafford narrative is fascinating because it's it's kind of up in the air right now right the the were the Dano people the like Stafford is Stafford is the new messiah he is the religion that we shall convert to those people were taking victory laps after like five weeks of the season everyone else is an idiot and then Stafford went on that meltdown run and then the opposite people were taking victory laps ah you guys Stafford is who he's always been which is to say a guy that's going to throw the game away at the crunch time. Uh, and now we're somewhere in the middle, right? Stafford hasn't been scintillating. He's not, like, absolutely torching the place. He's not playing like Joe Burrow or Mahomes or Josh Allen right now. But neither is he throwing the game away. So right now we're, like, plotting the middle course of this is kind of probably where the Rams expected this to land, which is he's an upgrade over Jared Goff, right? Even 2018 Goff. The grades might be the same ballpark, but they're comprised in a different way. It's like Roethlisberger was one of the worst graded quarterbacks in the NFL this year. But in crunch time, late in the game, with a drive on the line, you knew that Roethlisberger was better than like Jared Goff and a bunch of the other guys that he was around, right? Because he has that veteran savvy and the ability to pull out the right play at the right time. Um, Stafford is similar, right? Like that last play, okay. Looked like a pretty terrible defensive call. We're going to zero blitz. We're going to send the slot corner. We're going to leave Cooper Cup one-on-one with a safety downfield. Right. All right. On the other hand, Stafford still needs to hang in there with Ndamukong Sue, a guy who had literally said earlier in the game, I will fuck you up. Like <laughs> Direct you know, quote. Right. Quote, quote. Like we saw that, the lip reading 101 when they were getting into it. That's what he told him. Like that dude is barreling down towards you. And let's face it. And Dalvin has got a history of, uh, you know, doing some pretty questionable things during or after the play. So that guy is barreling towards you at a rate of knots, and you have to hang in there and fire the ball downfield to hit that guy for the game-winning touchdown with not an awful lot of time left on the clock. So is that a throw Jared Goff makes? Uh, probably not. Like Certainly are- not against a zero blitz. That's not Goff's for a t- forte. Right. So those are the plays that Stafford is making right now, even if, you know, He's not one of the best-graded quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, that's what they traded for. Think think of this from a narrative standpoint, too, though, right? We've talked a lot about the McVay offense and needing needing to take the next step. And when you look back historically, again, against in those specific situations, his kryptonite, whether it's McVay or Goff, the kryptonite has been zero blitz. It has been quarters. 
even just in that like microcosm of the you know of the whole thing if the rams found answers to these certain ways that defenses attack them then the the stafford upgrade maybe is worth it right just because he's they're able to yeah right when like last year when the dolphins just blitzed blitz the heck out of golf and he you know couldn't do anything with it or the offense couldn't do anything with it it's no longer a weakness right so now defenses have to attack differently i mean it was hyper expensive but like if the if this is like if the they almost won a super bowl with jared goff right if the difference between winning a super bowl and not is the difference between matthew stafford and jared goff which might be a smaller upgrade than most people expected it to be but is still an upgrade like if that is the difference between winning a ring and not, wasn't it worth it for them? Let me find the uh, PFF WAR numbers here because if 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 we're going to use we can use a number just to just to quantify wins really quickly. Goff last year was worth one point four six wins for the Rams. This year, Stafford before this game's even factored, it's probably worth three and a half wins. Right. So it's uh, right now because the postseason's factored into this. Right now, we're looking at maybe a two two win difference between last year Goff and this year Stafford. Now 2018 Goff was probably in this Stafford range, I would say, as far as wins. Yeah, Goff was similar, 3.61. So Stafford's probably going to even upgrade the wins added here. Stafford with a decent game next week probably ends up closer to four total wins that they've added. So even if you're looking at, let's say he adds half a win over 2018 Jared Goff, is a half win, I'm doing quick math here, half win, right, which sounds vague, a half win is pretty big over the course of a season for just one player to add a half win, is that worth two first-round picks? Well, a first-round tackle or a first-round edge defender, they're probably worth a quarter of a They probably do add up to a half win per season. So, they're, you know, just, again, quick math, this is the type of stuff that the Rams were contemplating here. And, and I'm has- giving the benefit of the doubt. I'm giving two th- I'm giving the best version of Jared Goff. The current version of Jared Goff, the more consistent version of Jared Goff, Stafford has been worth the upgrade at a glance so far this season. Yeah, and if that half win is the difference between a Super Bowl and not, like that's what they're chasing here. So again, like a lot of people were ridiculously critical about almost everything the Rams have done from a strategy standpoint right now and there's still two more games that they need to win for it to pay off but like right now it's working I think I mean I I was as usual a fence sitter in a lot of this I thought the offense would get better I don't know by how much but the offense would get better and that Stafford would play at a similar level as the rest of his career and that's where we're at right now we'll see if it does pay off uh anything so the end of the game too Unbelievable! As uh, so, Brady hits Evans on a fifty-five-yard touchdown. It's like, okay, this could happen. The the Rams then all they need to do is get a first down. Yeah. If the Rams get a first down against the Bucks, who have no timeouts, this game's over. They run a run play. They run a second run play after the two-minute warning, right? Or just before it? After I think it was after. And Dominican Sue forces the fumble on Cam Akers. Bucks get the ball. 35-yard line, whatever it was. They pick up what looks like a first down to Cameron Brait. He's just short, fourth and inches. So it's fourth and inches, fourth and one, half a yard, whatever it is. Everybody's expecting the Brady sneak, so you're going to sneak it. 
get up to the line, run a couple pass plays, and the Bucks have a chance to tie it up. Instead, they run Leonard Fournette. And I, and I always say, I think this is part of the Brady opening things up. He opens up the outside run in short yardage when you, when you take away the sneak, when everybody's playing it. Fournette bounces out for the touchdown. It's 27-27. to 27. And that's when the Rams got the ball back. That drive started with a Stafford sack, that near fumble. But the next two plays, Cooper Cup and Stafford take over. Another example of a team being in the situation where they had that decision of do you go to two, do you go for two and try and win the game, or do you take the extra point and play for whatever chance? It was like a is. minute left, right? Yeah, but again, like it, what it doesn't change anything. All it changes if they score the field goal or the touchdown, you lose anyway, right? Like if the Rams do what the Rams did and score, whatever you it doesn't matter. You lose, right? The only difference is if they don't. You win the game instead of going overtime. That's the only thing that changes. And I, I just – in the playoffs, I think that that's happened. That's come up three times now, and nobody's gone for it. In the regular season, teams were going for it. I, I just, think the Bucks feel good at that point in the game, and maybe the feelings are the things that you're trying to avoid here. The Bucks are probably feeling good that if they go to overtime, they've got a chance to win it. Now, that could be Right, false. but is it a better chance than one play from the two-yard line? Against the Rams' defense, maybe. Your Rams' defense that you've just started scoring against. I'm just saying, like, this has now come up three times in the postseason, and teams are yeah. 0 for 3, taking that more aggressive stance. Now, I don't think it's the same teams that were doing it during the regular season, so it's not like, a, it's not like an aggressive team has suddenly turtled up and gone conservative. But I just think it's interesting now that this has come up multiple times in the postseason, and not only have none of them gone for it, but I don't think any of them really seriously considered it at any point. Um, so they ended up, they tie it, and then the Rams march down the field and score. Bruce Arians also had, uh, he also kicked a field goal. Was it fourth and 11? Yeah. Kicked a field goal down 27 to 3. They made it 27 to 6. That has come up a few times, too, where teams are down two scores plus multiple two point conversions. This has come up, I think it was the Cowboys against the Niners last week, maybe. It's two scores plus two point conversions, two two point conversions or more. This was, in this case, it was. Three touchdowns and three two-point conversions. They were down 24. I don't hate the field on a fourth and long call. I don't hate the field goal there. Like you, it keeps it as a three-possession game, but then you don't have to get all of those two-point conversions, which are all having getting three of them is already a massive undertaking. I also wonder. So the the interesting thing about that to me is that like Brady. Brady was fine with it. You know what I mean? Brady, it's not like Brady was sort of going, hey, come on, we got to go for it. Like we, yeah. Um, because it's fourth and 11. He knows, I mean, that's, that's also part of like the game flow thing. This Rams pass rush is getting to you. Converting a third or fourth and long is but I think, low. It, I, mean, I think it's a more, a more all-encompassing attitude that these guys have. So like Peyton Manning is one of those guys and Troy Aikman where they're all like, you don't, I don't want to go for two until we have to. You know what I mean? I don't want to know. That idea of the analytics says go for two. I know it's a different, slightly different conversation, but the analytics is like go for two early because then you know if you don't get it, you have an extra drive you need to get. You know what I mean? The earlier you have that information, the more you can do something about it and potentially change the outcome. The football guys are like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to go for that play until I need to because, and I, I think it's this attitude of like, the thing I've said before where the guys like Montana and Brady and Peyton Manning, when they get that two-minute drive to win the game, the first play is very often something 
very inconsequential, but it picks up five yards. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Just to start, just to start moving, just to get something going. I wonder if this, there's this sort of collective attitude amongst these guys or this understanding that you just need to take this one play at a time. Like we are, there's a lot like the, the, this game, the, um, the next game as well, the bills, Kansas City. like you can score, you can put up a lot of points in a short period of time. If things happen, you know what I mean? But you can't do that if you don't score, if you don't just keep ch- chipping away at it and take it one play at a time. So I wonder if this, this attitude amongst those quarterbacks in particular that they're not going to be hyper-aggressive because they understand that you just keep picking up one play, one play, one play, one play, and eventually they're all going to add up and put you back in the game. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to it. Bucks did get into it. <laughs> it was 27-27, to and then Stafford and Cup make the plays to take over. Um the Chris read kind of he thought it was a cryptic answer from Tom Brady about potentially retiring and and all that. I don't know if that was I don't know how cryptic it was or not, but you said like I'm bummed right now. I'm not thinking about the future. That was post game. We'll but during the game, Chris was bringing up a pregame quote yeah. from Brady, which I think is more it was more of like a Brady process answer because he's so, you know, he into this whole process-oriented thing. You know, we're going to take time and talk about it. And, you know, I don't like to, you know, I want to live in the moment. And I I think that was his answer. I love the way now as well, like everybody, it's a we thing. You know what I mean? It's like the the team. Team's going to get together. And not like, not the football team, like my team. No, Brady's team. team. Him. Yeah. It's him and Giselle. Him and the missus. No, there'll be other people. Like Alex is going to weigh in. You know, that's true. I think we got like with this avocado oil. I think we got another five years here, boss. <laughs> you think that's the guy? I you think Guerrero is? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm ready for ty- retirement. No, I think he's like, no. Look, we've got some new techniques on the horizon. We got like water mixed with something else. Like we're gonna get. There's another six years in this. I'm telling yeah. you. I mean, the Bucks have some interesting team building decisions because I, you know, Gronk. He could retire at any time. Once again, does he actually want to come back one more time? He looked good this year. You've got Chris Godwin as a free agent. Obviously, Antonio Brown is already not coming back. So they've got a a group of pass catchers to to bring back, and uh, Carlton Davis on the defensive side. So it's not this year. They they went all in to bring the band back together. It didn't work out. The Rams went all in to bring new stars to town, mm-hmm. and they're off. Has worked out to the NFC championship by the way all of our grades and stats nfl pod is your promo code you get 25 percent off over at pff.com any pff subscription 25 percent off using the promo code nfl pod i see the youtube chat bump and type it in there nfl pod tell your friends you get 25 percent off don't use the other podcast subscription codes can we can we sneak 30 percent off just for ours uh we can't do that not. i don't think we're allowed to especially because the you know the tailgate dude is in charge of it austin of this promo but it's 25 percent off using the promo code nfl pod all these grades and stats are showing up right now a part of your pff edge or elite package over at pff.com so you can you can follow along so use nfl pod for 25 percent off anything else here brady and uh oh god let's get to the last game brady and rogers retirement (sighs) discussion yeah already started do you want to circle back to bucky's take on the packers no no i don't okay next we're going to do the Wednesday Bucky show. Bucky and Dan O takes. Bucky and We'll Dan just discuss. I'm trying to be nice. I don't, it, 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 there's no right or wrong here, but they're th- good thought exercises. Thought exercises. There's, there's a right or wrong with the Dan O stuff. Like, it's coverage bust. It's all Stafford. It is. It's all Stafford. 
Bills Chiefs. This thing was just trudging along as a good, solid football game and then just madness in the fourth quarter. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, head-to-head. Now, historically, when you get two really good quarterbacks, you don't, you don't always get shootouts like this. You don't always get answer and answer. This was... I mean, it wasn't even a shootout until, like, the last, <laughs> the last two minutes. It just all happened. It all happened in the end. It was like a, you know, each team scores seven in the first quarter, each team scores seven in the second quarter, seven to nine in the third quarter, and then, like, the last two minutes of the fourth quarter, it was just a mad explosion. Uh, Mahomes de- deserves a ton of credit, obviously. He was fantastic. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey showed their star power. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating on the other side. Stephon Diggs only had three catches for seven yards. Well, yeah, because I, um, because who might the name? Javarius Ward? No. Uh, whose receiver just went ape? Oh, Gabriel Davis. Yeah, Gabriel okay. Davis turns into yeah, Jerry I'm, Rice. I'm not the, lamenting this like the Bills needed, you know, Stephon Diggs to catch more passes. Gabriel Davis looks 200 like... 200 yards and four touchdowns. He looked like a combination of T.O. and Jerry Rice at 6'3", 215, in, you know, 4'4 type of speed. And wrecking people with moves. That's what I mean. Just throwing the the corner post shuffle and the guy falls over. It was unbelievable. He had the 75-yarder. So that that was when this thing kind of started, right? The Chiefs get up nine, and Josh Allen comes back with his next throw next drive 75 yards in stride just an absolute bomb and this this is my favorite thing that arm strength matters people came out and hey yeah i mean for josh allen absolutely his arm strength matters um 75 yard bomb this was one of those throws like you're just throwing it behind where the defense is expecting to cover 75 yard touchdown to gabriel davis gabriel davis then later on makes mike hughes fall down on a little jab post move i mean it was unbelievable what gabriel davis did in this game also so much of this game was as as great as the passing stats are for josh allen and patrick mahomes patrick mahomes slithering out of sacks he had a 35 yard scramble early in the first quarter and he just continued to avoid those negative plays pick up some yards on the ground whereas josh allen was like mike uh, mark bavaro in the open field just trucking people like legitimate tight end speedy tight end hurting people in the open field josh allen on design runs qb sweeps on scrambles whatever it is it was just an unreal back and forth battle between both teams here yeah it was crazy um the the last couple of minutes was absolute madness like these quarterbacks were just both dealing they were both playing out of their minds the patrick mahomes it's funny so We've been making this point, right, that the, this was the team that the Bills were designed to beat, right? They went out and they tried – they lost to the Chiefs last year in the AFC Championship game, and they have assembled this roster to try and take down this Kansas City team. And one of the ways they did that, the, the broadcast was making this point, they, went, they go and draft two pass rushers because they didn't get enough pressure on Patrick Mahomes. They know they can't blitz him, so they've got to try and win more up front with just four guys and get him that way. And so they, they actually get a reasonable amount of pressure on him in this game, but they just can't get hold of the damn guy. There's so many plays where they're collapsing the pocket. There's multiple players getting pressure on him. They're chasing him down, and they just cannot get him to the ground. That guy is like an eel in the pocket, just slithers like left and right, somehow gets out of it, and, keeps, and then goes. And as soon as he takes off, like I've said before, 
his 40 time is half a tenth of a second faster than the guy chasing him, regardless of how fast that guy is, right? Somehow you just cannot chase him down from behind. Once he's out there running, he's going he's gonna to get away. Um, and they just could not track him down. And then Kansas City, those freak athletes that they've had, Tyreek Hill, you know, Miko Hardman with his speed, Travis Kelsey, those guys kept winning. Like they kept, they found all of them with the ball. All of those guys found ways to make some plays and show that, like you know, Tyreek Hill's still the fastest dude in the NFL. Miko Hardman has those plays where okay, he might not be able to step up and be a number one or a number two, but if you can get him the ball with a bit of space and wiggle room, boom, that can be a big play and a touchdown. And Travis Kelsey remains unstoppable. Um, like those guys were just racking up points for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hardman's first touchdown run, a 26-yarder where he did not have room, and he just squirted right through there. Uh, Not 26, that was a 25-yarder, sorry. He had a 26-yard reception as well. There's just so much space in this Kansas City offense. Mahomes, ridiculous stat, 177 yards after the two-minute warning. That included the 64-yarder to Tyreek Hill. As I said, just throw the 70-yarder to Tyreek Hill. I tweeted that about 20 seconds before. It actually happened. Nailed it, Steve. Um, But, man, Tyreek Hill is just ridiculous with the ball in his hands. He actually lost some yards because I thought, you know, he's he's, he's like the one guy where he can kind of go backwards. And he's – it is – I can't – I still can't believe how fast he is. I still can't believe he's that much faster than everybody else on the football field. It's crazy. Um, Supposedly there was a check at the line on the game – so a game-winning walk-off touchdown, Mahomes to Kelsey, that they had some sort of, like, backyard adjustment – to that play uh, back shoulder to Kelsey and Mahomes uh, confirmed it with his cadence at the line of scrimmage like do it do it or something like that and, and Kelsey did it and they threw it and it was it was really the best I think it was the best throw Mahomes made all day I mean Mahomes was good but as far as making throws um, I mean his first his first touchdown to Pringle was kind of ridiculous too right they were yeah. doing that yes it was a fake rollout it was like a fake was it a fake roll to the right Roll out to the left that was covered, and then he rolled back to the right. Is that what they were doing? I don't know. All I know is that when he started rolling right, there were suddenly three guys in his face, and he just had to like loft it over the top. Yeah, it was insane. To be able to find okay. a guy with that kind of pressure in your face is pretty nuts. Yeah, back to that spatial awareness thing. So it, it still makes you wonder what – I mean, look, not every players aren't perfect. But the midseason slump that the, that the Chiefs had, that was real. Yeah. Right? I mean, let's, let's not have – you can have revisionist history if, if you're like, hey, the, you know, Mahomes is never going to be good again. The Chiefs are figured out if people said that. I don't think we got to that point. But we said, look, they have, they, have a, they have to make an adjustment here. The league has done stuff to change how they stop this team. And again, Mahomes and the Chiefs have done, in the second half of the year, a much better job of taking the underneath stuff they were over patient. and over and over again. They were patient in this game without making the mistakes. I mean, earlier in the game, I think they had like a, was it a 15-play drive that chewed up a giant amount of clock and scored a touchdown. Like yeah. that was, they weren't doing that earlier in the season when teams like Buffalo were forcing them into these situations. They were, they were panicking. They were making mistakes and they were turning the ball over instead of scoring touchdowns. So Kansas City has figured out how to do that and how to be more patient and succeed. Um, so Josh Allen was incredible in this game. And, God, like the, I'm getting more and more impressed by him every week. Like, can you imagine if you're a team with a quarterback that's just, like, good or has okay tools and is just a normal, like, just a regular human NFL quarterback, and you're watching this game, and you're like, what the hell is this? Look at these two guys that are just 
super freaks. Like you've got Josh Allen, who's this unstoppable force on the ground, who's got a cannon for an arm, who can make all these throws, and every time they need a big play, he comes up big. And then you got Mahomes do like almost completely impossible to stop in the pocket. You just can't get to him. And then as soon as he breaks contain, there's a big play waiting to happen. Like it's unbelievable the plays that these two guys were trading in this game. Like late in the game, uh, there was a play where Josh Allen um, he basically had to beat three different guys to get to, to like start scrambling and get to the first down. Like he doesn't make that the game might be over. Three different people had a shot at him and he makes them all miss and just rolls over it. Um, one thing I do think that's interesting in this game, the bills kind of made a mess of it from a play calling standpoint, a few different times uh, early in the game. It was like fourth and two and you run Josh Allen, like a QB sweep, like QB power or whatever it was. You have to do that every fourth and short with Josh Allen. It should be that's, – that's what they've been doing recently, right? We dial right. up a play for Josh Allen because you can't stop that, right? There, he breaks defensive schemes. Being able to have a guy like that who, like Mark Bavaro, just runs over people, can beat them with speed, can beat them with moves. You don't have a fix to that on the defense, right? There's nothing you can do that takes away all of those options. So early in the game, they did it. I do not understand it was, what, third quarter – uh, five minutes left. The the Bills have they're down seventeen to fourteen. Fourth and one from okay their own thirty four. But still, do you really want to punt that ball away to Patrick Mahomes when you have Josh Allen? Fourth and one with Josh Allen. Like there are what, plays. What was the time left here? There are five minutes left in the fourth in the third quarter. Third quarter, yeah. Like they so the. The they Chiefs. went for the fourth and two early in the game. Yes, the first drive, I think. First drive. So the Chiefs have just scored a field goal. Buffalo is now down 17-14, to 14, yep. and they essentially go three and out. Um, they get seven yards on first down. They uh, don't get anywhere on second down. Third down was the, remember the kind of handoff to McKenzie? Yes. And everyone's like, oh, what a terrible play call that is. You're like, oh, okay, it's not a great play call. But on the other hand, it's now fourth and one. Fourth and one. Why are you punting? Yeah. Yeah, okay, your own 34. So that's definitely not ideal field position. But you, surely you have to back your idea of I can pick up a yard with Josh Allen at quarterback, right? We've seen over the last few weeks there are so many things you can do to effectively guarantee that yard. Like he's one of the best sneaking sneak quarterbacks in the NFL. There are plays where you can go empty and run him right up the middle that are literally unstoppable. I and and by the way, Patrick Mahomes is on the opposition, right? Like, what you have to treat this game as you can't give him the ball back. There, there are two schools of thought on this, right? The risk of going for it in your own territory. If you're playing a great offense, the great offense is literally two plays away from being in the same exact spot that you would have left them anyway. Right, and right? the idea, like the idea that you need to. The extra 45 yards from the punt is the difference between them scoring and not. It's not. Like, the whole point is that's Patrick Mahomes over there. He's probably scoring whatever you do. Yes. And so so, that, so the one school of thought is if you're playing a great offense, just if you give them a short field, are you doing them a favor? Sure. But they're probably going to get back to the short field anyway. But if you're playing a bad offense, are you doing them a favor by putting them into field goal range, essentially, when they're not moving the ball? In this particular instance – 
you know, it's even with the Chiefs taking a slight step back this season offensively, it's still the Chiefs. They're still capable, so remaining aggressive. And they still now, have like, all that stuff didn't necessarily matter because Hardman comes back with the 25 yard run that we talked about, missed the extra point. It's 23 to 14. Next play, Josh Allen to Gabriel Davis, 75 yard touchdown. Right. But on the other hand, like, Instead of Miko Hardman scoring a touchdown, you had a chance to keep the ball. Sure. Potentially take the lead yourself, and it's a different ball game. Right. right. You now have the you now have the the momentum. Possession the so, on Kansas City in a game like this. Possession's the most important thing. Right. Is the bottom. And line. again, you have a cheat code at quarterback, and you've already deployed that cheat code. Like the first drive of the game, you went for it on fourth and two. Why all of a sudden have you gone conservative and don't want to don't want to break it out just because it's on your own thirty four? You I, had another... I was blown away that they punted that ball. How about um, punting the ball to Tyree Kill? Multiple times. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't do that either. That's the other... So we get into the fourth quarter. It's, uh, it's still a, a two-point game, I believe, right? Uh, the Bills punt, 54 yards. Tyree Kill runs out of bounds for 13 yards. But there are offsetting penalties on the play. So now Buffalo has to punt from their 15... And when you punt from your 15, you're in this, you're in this difficult spot where you certainly don't want to get the punt blocked because if, if it's blocked, it's like a touchdown or a safety, right? So you have to protect a little bit. And if you punt it, there's, I mean, there's, you're punting and you know, you, you, you know the punt return is going to be in the open field. It's not like a coffin corner situation. And they punt it back to Tyreek Hill, who is just, again, at a different level from everybody else on the field. 45-yard return there. Um, and this is what made this game insane because every time – I mean, that just felt like, well, now this is Kansas City's game, right? They're already winning. Tyree Kill's taken over, 45-yard touchdown uh, – punt return. The, now, as unstoppable as we're talking about these offenses being, the Chiefs started this drive from the 16-yard line. They started a drive early in the fourth quarter from the 16-yard line and only got a field goal out of it because uh, – Three runs. They got too cute, right? McKinnon for three, McKinnon for five, including a fumble that gets recovered by Andrew Wiley. And then they go the direct snap to, uh, to Blake Bell. The belldozer runs the speed <laughs> option. He was the belldozer in college. Belldozer. He was, uh, they thought, uh, Oklahoma thought he was their Josh Allen. He was Josh Allen as a runner mm. in college, just without the cannon and accu- now the accuracy that Allen has. Um, that goes for negative three yards. Nice play. To, to stop it by the Bills so the Chiefs only get a field goal, 28-yarder. Now it's 26-21. to 21. And then the crazy stuff started yeah. after all of that. Not even then. I mean, like, really, we get the Chiefs or the, the Bills spend, like, basically the next six minutes, seven minutes, driving for a touchdown. They get that Gabriel Davis one. Uh, they get the two-point conversion. And now, now we're off to the races because, like, great, you scored. Two minutes left. Patrick Mahomes with the ball. Game over. Like, the Chiefs are going to score. Forget it. Like, of course. That's too much time. Too much time on the clock for a quarterback like Mahomes. And it was. Turns out it was way too much time because oh. the Chiefs score almost immediately. Buffalo now Don't has rush. the ball. Don't finish. Don't rush. I want to go through this drive. The Bills get the ball at 8.55. Yes. Okay. They score with two, right at the two-minute warning. 
But along the way, like the roller coaster of, roller coaster of emotions that occurred for both fan bases along – because this was like methodical, right? And the Bills are like, all right, we're just going to put the ball in Josh Allen's hands. And on this play, they ran him for negative one on a second down, but he also picks up a third down. He gets stopped on third and six. And like Romo was saying, he's like, oh, you know, they're just you know picking up a few yards. They're going to go forward on fourth. On fourth and four, Josh Allen scrambles and hurts. This is when he uh, – was it Traverius Ward? Who did he hit? And that was the play where he, he evaded three different people to get out of that. On fourth and four to pick it up. So then, you know what like I Melvin felt? Melvin Ingram was in his face immediately. And then he has to, so he has to beat Ingram. Then he has to beat some other guy who's chased into the flat because Ingram's forced him out of the pocket and then barrel over one more guy to get the first down. So I thought at that point, he comes back with uh, an incompletion and then another uh, run. I thought at that point, Allen was getting a little bit too run heavy, right? Because they go incompletion, they run again on second and 10, then it's third and six. And this, this was where it was like, okay, now the Bills definitely lost the game. Here's what happens. Allen's a little bit under pressure. I thought he started to drop his eyes. I thought he was trying to do too much outside the pocket instead of winning from the pocket. And he dumps it off to Devin Singletary. This wasn't a screen or anything. This was kind of like a panic throw to Singletary who catches it for a seven-yard loss. Yeah. Which then puts the Bills at 4th and 13. So now it's like, okay, this game's over, right? It's 4th and 13. Until Gabriel Davis runs the best route in NFL history. Puts Mike Hughes on his uh, buttocks. Mm. <laughs> 27 yards 27 yard touchdown yeah as ridiculous as that play was josh allen's two-point conversion was even better because you can't just have a one-point lead with patrick mahomes on the other side with two minutes you're gonna lose you have to get the two-point conversion to make the chiefs tie it at least and allen scrambles out and somehow finds stefan Diggs. this didn't count as one of his three catches but it still matters That play was as ridiculous as anything else Josh Allen pulled out in this game. Yeah. Your thoughts? It was. Okay. Those two plays back-to-back were... This is is John Elway type stuff. Yeah, those two plays back-to-back were special. And at that point, you're like, okay, that's great. But there's too much time left on the clock for Patrick Mahomes to answer. This, This is going to be a problem. And then the Chiefs score really quickly... Like they only t- they take less than a minute to answer, and honestly, at that point, I was like, you know what? That's not the worst thing that's happened for the. You Bills. did say that, yeah. You did say that to me. So I, I was going to. I tried to tweet it. I was like, this is the best thing that could happen for the Bills, and I was like, no, that's there, there is a better thing. <laughs> the best thing that could happen is they force an immediate turnover, and they have the ball without you know conceding a touchdown, and everything's great. If you're going to give up the score, this is a this is the best way of doing it, right? Give up a touchdown very quickly. And give yourself a minute to answer. And that's exactly what happened. So you, you get the ball with a minute. Allen does it again. Allen marches down the field again. They score another time, another touchdown to Gabriel Davis. And now you're like, perfect. Game winner. You just won. 13 seconds left on the clock. That's it. The game's done. And then, like, even at the time... I was like, 13 seconds, Mahomes? No, no. Even You're going too fast again. Even Mahomes. You're going too fast again. Because the Tyreek Hill 64-yarder. Yeah. How does he run through the defense like that? Because he's Tyreek Hill. That's what happens. But on reflection, like, that's probably, you know, the defense is beginning to get pretty knackered at that point. And that's probably one of the plays that helped them get very knackered. Like, that defense is all of a sudden... Sprinting a long way, a lot and of this, the time. And this is the thought exercise I'm, 
I want to go through here. It, what's the best way to have the defense completely worn out in the fourth quarter? Because, I, I, again, I don't want to take anything away from Allen or Mahomes. You know, it, obviously it's, it's not just a two-man game. There's more, like, there's more than just the quarterback. But those guys were special and incredible. The playmakers were special and incredible. But how much of this end of the game is just the defense has no answers? Or uh, my baseball analogy, right, that I gave you. In baseball, they found out the more hitters get to see pitchers, the more it's to the hitter's advantage. Is there a football equivalent? Is there value in just running a whole bunch of passing plays, right? If you can, just because you can see what the defense is giving you. Is it to the offense's advantage over time in today's NFL that the more plays that they run, not just for you know fatigue factor, but as far as figuring out defenses, is it to the offense's advantage? Or am I extrapolating this too far? It's just a whole bunch of special playmakers, including Gabriel Davis in this one, just took over and they were unstoppable. But at the end of the game, the, de- I, the defenses didn't have a shot. I mean, there's some when, ugly defense in here. When you're getting late in the game and the the tempo starts to go as crazy as it was, the offense can substitute out receivers, right? Like Tyreek Hill can sprint for 60 yards, and Tyreek Hill doesn't have to come back into the game, right? When he, the 45-yard punt return, Tyreek Hill didn't play the next snap, right? Because the dude's just run 45 yards. He's wrecked. So he didn't play the next snap on offense. The guys on defense... Like you run, you sprint as a safety 50 yards for a play, even if it's not complete or not. You got to line back up 35 seconds later and do it again. So those guys are playing every single snap. They're playing that sequence. That end of game uh, madness, I think, just absolutely destroys those defenses because they don't, they don't come off the field. They don't have a break. Their break is the 35 seconds between sprints. Like it's. You know, like remember when you're, you know, if you did track and field or whatever in school, like that's that's the most tiring thing you can do, right? Those like interval sprint things, that's what they're doing at the, at the end of the game. Like that, that's their rest is the interval between sprints. There's only so much of that you can do before you're just done. Your gas tank is empty. I mean, it's bad on the receivers too, right? But that's what I'm saying. At yeah, least those guys can get off the field. Like you do that, yeah. you can rotate out. Yeah. Somebody else comes in for a snap, you get another 30 seconds of rest. You get to double the amount of rest you have. Like the the DBs don't have that. They they got to go and they got to go again and they got to go again. And you got to go again until the drive ends and you can get the hell off the field for a while. So I think just the the way that end of game sequence was going, the craziness just torches those guys that are playing every snap. I wonder if that's even a a reason to have an extra receiver on your roster and, and and to get those speed guys that are they're just there to wear down the defense like just cover me deep over and over and over again you got to investigate this further but there's a minute two left the bills have they're down four so this is a must this is a touchdown needing drive yeah. you need a touchdown here and josh allen gets the 28 yarder to gabriel davis a 12 yarder to gabriel davis Eventually gets a 16-yarder to Emmanuel Sanders, and then Gabriel Davis up the seam for the 19-yarder. Huge couple of plays because so he took the shot to Stephon Diggs and miscommunication Diggs, one, right? Diggs was literally not even trying to catch it; he was trying to break it up. Like, oh, that yeah, yeah, he goes up with it, yep. goes up one-handed with this hand, and is literally just trying to bat it out of bounds because yep. it's closer to the the corner than it is to Diggs. So, and Diggs, by the way, throughout his career, has always been really good at that. Like, yeah. Saving a sense for saving, saving bad plays, yeah. understanding when I'm not even going to attempt to make a play on this ball. The only 
play I'm trying to make is a pass breakup at this point. And then the the shot to Emmanuel Sanders was contested as well. Like that was into some pretty tight coverage, and Sanders comes up with it big. Uh, then you get the um, then you get the touchdown to Davis. They answer, and you're like 13 seconds. And at the time, you're like 13 seconds. Mahomes, maybe no. Even I thought it was that silly. I, I was like, okay, we've just seen. If you if the game ended there, it was it was one of the best games of right. All time. And you're like that. It, it is exactly what you thought would happen. Too much time for Mahomes. He answered, but it was too much time as well for Josh Allen. That's like Allen gets it done. Incredible game by him. One you know game winning drive and all those kinds of things. And you're like, 13 seconds shouldn't be enough time to get this done. Now, mistake number one, they kick the ball out of the back of the end zone for a touchback. And at the time, you know, Romo and Nance are saying, you got to make them return this, right? It's a squib or just something that makes them feel the ball and burn a few seconds of clock. Like, they should have kicked that off. And, I, you know, this is, this is off the back of saying, what are they doing punting to Tyreek Hill? You know what I mean? But, like, yeah. you have to make them feel this play because – 13 seconds should not be enough time to drive for a field goal. Eight seconds is certainly not enough time for it, right? So make them chew up a few seconds. Like, kick it. Do one of those kicks where you, you know, high hang time, drop it at the one-yard line, force the guy to come out. You're probably going to end up with a shorter with a – they're probably not even going to make it to the 25. But even if they do, it costs them five seconds, and that is the most important thing right now is simply the amount of time on the clock. So this they don't they kick it out of the end zone and the Chiefs get to start this drive with all 13 seconds. This is where I think the tree the Chiefs trio Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey changes all the arithmetic. Well also because the I, timeouts. The timeouts is Chiefs had massive. three timeouts. Andy Reid had all of his timeouts at the end of the half. Which well has done. happened like in the first half as well. You're like, why are you stockpiling these? This is why, apparently, for the last 13 well, he's seconds. He's making up for the, for the last decade. Yeah. Well, um, it turns out, no, this is like his one time. You know, it's like, ah, you idiots. You always mock me for trying to keep them with me. This is why. It's for this last 13 seconds of this one game. That's why I wanted all the timeouts. My feeling, because I'm watching with my wife, and I'm talking through this, right? They kick it deep. And I'm like, don't kick it deep. Make him return it. Make him return it. And I'm like, there's 13 seconds. Right. Because the alternative there is if they do get a big return. In normal NFL circumstances, what are, the, what are the ways the Bills can lose that game with 13 seconds left? One of the disastrous ways is just a big return, right? You make a return it, all of a sudden they bring it back to the 50, and it's like, oh, no, there's a Hail Mary situation. Or not even Hail Mary, it's just like they just need 15 yards and yeah. they call timeout, right? That is a disastrous potential situation for the Bills. And, it, and when you're facing Mahomes, Hill, even against those guys, it's like 13 seconds left. You're still probably going to take your chances with 13 seconds. Of course you're going to take your versus chance. Versus 30. If it was 30 seconds, then you're like, okay, we, you know, maybe we make them return it, steal some seconds here, here and there. But the timeouts change everything because when you don't have timeouts, that's when teams play that, what is it, like the picket fence defense where you st- stack everybody on the sidelines and you're like, you're not – you're not getting a quick 15 yards to the sideline when it's right. the clock. You have to play the middle of the field, and you don't have the time to get that done, right? That's the, the defense that the 49ers finally showed up with against the Cowboys, daring them essentially to do what they did, which is run a QB draw or something over the middle that burns all your time and you've got nothing left. You can't do that with all of your timeouts because they can target the middle of the field and then immediately call a timeout and keep the, keep the clock 
alive. So the fact that Kansas City had those timeouts meant that you actually had to play this honestly and show up with a real with a normal defense and just stop them. Um, so they were in a an unusually difficult defensive situation relative to just like there's 13 seconds and no time. So the single most this, the the most important thing for you as a defense as the defending team is force them to start that drive with eight seconds left, not with 13 which you can do by kicking, okay, there is a small risk that they can return that kick for something huge and put you in a bind. But it almost never happens, particularly those ones where you're, like, lofting it to make them feel it at the one. Like, the average start position for those is terrible. It's way short of the 25, so they're probably going to have a longer field to go anyway. And you burned, like, a third of the time. (sighs) They didn't. They They let them have all 13 seconds. How do you play defense then? You can't. You've got to play. You actually have to play a normal defense. Like you can't. They ran like the softest prevent in the world and went, we're just going to make sure essentially you don't pick up like a 50-yard play. I think the Bills were thinking, Mahomes, uh, Tyree Kill changes this entire equation, right? As does Mahomes, right? Because they're at the 25. And then they they get to the 40 or, uh, you know, almost to midfield. And by then, it's like, well, Mahomes can certainly make it to the, throw it to the end zone. I think the Bills are picturing this worst-case scenario but where Tyreek is behind the defense. With that first play, like, look at the way they lined up. Look how soft that defense yeah. was. You have to play something normal on that first down. And they throw it to Tyreek. He goes out of bounds for 19 yards, and he's going to do that faster than anybody in the NFL. Yeah. And so you still have enough time there. Then I think that's where the next mistake was. But again, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I could still picture Tyreek getting behind this defense for like a 60-yarder or whatever it was at sure. the time. I mean, I understand it's not like it's, it's a difficult situation, but like you have to – you can't make it that easy. And I think this is – teams get into this situation, like the prevent defense generally. They get into this thing where they're like, we just, we just can't give up the huge play. Like, yeah, but like how often do you give up the huge play? Like you actually have to start factoring in – what is our what is our usual baseline playing normal defense of giving up this catastrophic play? I want to reiterate. Let me take you back to 2017 really quickly. In 2017, Tyree Kill made a play that I don't think has ever occurred right. in the NFL. Remember the end against of the Dallas. half against Dallas, right? They dumped it off to Tyree Kill. We see this hundreds of thousands of times in NFL history. You dump it off. Everybody's playing prevent. They come up. They tackle him. And he ran through the defense for a touchdown before the half. Yeah. That play, like, won the passer rating title for Alex Smith that year because of Tyreek Hill. All I'm saying is you have two players on the field in this end-of-the-game situation, Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, that can do stuff that you've never seen before. And, you make- and that put Buffalo in enough of a bind. Yeah. That it let them get into field goal range let me, let me just easily. articulate for you where this defense lined up, right? We're playing with two high safeties, one of whom is 32 yards off the line of scrimmage, the other of whom is 26, right? So your safeties are literally not in the play. They are lining up on Mars somewhere, and their, their job is literally just don't get, like, if there's a touchdown here, stop it. The, they then have a line of three guys, linebackers and a, a DB, Lining up, uh, what are we here, 10, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage, right? So you're, you're immediately giving them 15. They've got two corners that are essentially just parked nowhere on an island in the flat. But they're like, 
they're literally not covering the receivers. Like the, the, the Chiefs have a bunch formation on the left side of the field. Levi Wallace is the corner to that side. He's playing 10 yards off and five yards outside leverage. Like he's not covering that. So he's sort of doing that take away the sideline thing. But that's all he's doing. Um, and then they rush four, sort of. They rushed, rushed three guys, and they had one guy kind of dithering at the line as like a QB spy. But they literally gave up exactly what the Chiefs took, which is dump it off to Tyreek, and then you have a lot of room in front of you to get some yardage. They should have zero blitzed. And as soon as you do that, we can call a timeout. But what I'm saying is you've got, what, two? You've got seven guys there who are essentially – not playing defense, but are playing just to not give up a 50-yard play, right? I would have put four guys to not give up the 50-yard play. Yeah. I'm just saying, why not run Why not run cover two, quarters, anything normal from the playbook? Like other thing that's um, generally designed not to give up a 50-yard touchdown, but can also stop like routine 20-yard plays. Your friend Mike Lombardi uh, said something like, we've got to press the receivers and knock them off their route. I could just picture this. So if you press the receivers, you've got four men rushing. You need four guys pressing, right? And then you've got your three safeties. Tyreek Hill destroys that press. He's already into the secondary. Yeah. You throw a seam route to him, then you're in field goal range. Or he just decides, okay, I'm past the first guy. I'm going full Randy Moss. I'm getting by this one safety I need to beat, right? Because there's three across. I'm going to go by this. And Mahomes just throws it over the top. I mean, I don't... It is the weirdest thing to say. With 13 seconds, I'm watching the Bills' defense saying, I don't know exactly what they should do. I think you articulated it fine. Like, there's a, there is a middle ground. What they ran. You have to stop the field. You have to make a, a, an attempt at stopping the field goal, too. What, what, and, and say, like, look, if Patrick hits a 65-yarder, like, you know, good on you. What they ran was essentially cover two, right? But a cover two where, like, the softness slider was ramped up to like 185% where everyone was playing 15 yards deeper than they're supposed to be. Like, literally just run cover two. Anything. Like, any any base coverage shell. Run that. Just don't run what you ran, which is like we're playing so soft to not give up the one catastrophic play that we're going to give you anything else you want from the playbook. So they get into field goal range. Harrison Butker, the next Justin Tucker. The next Justin Tucker. Hits the field goal, 49-yarder, whatever it was. And uh, we're going to overtime. Was he, was, he who, was he the guy that missed the 47-yarder from short earlier? In, was that this game? No, that was Mac Gay. Oh, Mac Gay. Yeah. With the Rams. That's the other part of the Todd Bowles that decision. Was, that was weird, by the way. Well, he got hurt. He had, something, he had something tweaked or something in pregame. Mac Gay, the Rams kicker. He had something tweaked in pregame. It looked fine for most of the game. And then all of a sudden, the 47-yarder, which also like would have sealed the game for the Rams, just showed up, just ended short. It looked like it was through, right, on TV? Just, That's what I thought, yeah. And then they like, go, no good, it's short. What? Um, so that was the other part of like the Todd Bowles decision when you zero blitz. They have a field goal kicker who just couldn't reach a 47-yarder. You can't, you know. Probably, going. yeah. So Todd Bowles goes zero blitz. Bills go softest cover two in history. They both, they both led to uh, field goals to the opposing team. Chiefs get the ball in overtime. Felt like such a downer when they handed it off the first time. It's like after all that craziness, they go handoff for four. Um, anyway, it still worked out. They, uh, they drive down the field. You've got Jarek McKinnon for 16. And then Mikko Hardman takes it. That was his 26-yarder. Uh, open, just wide open and uh, on a crossing route. 
busted coverage by the Bills. And they just, as you texted me, looked gassed. It was over. Back oh, shoulder from Mahomes to Kelsey. As soon as, it hit, it. as soon as this hit overtime, you were just like, the Bills' defense has just got nothing left. Like, they looked like a UFC fighter that's emptied the tank in the first couple of rounds. And, like, the third round, that guy's just staggering around. Like, you know, ugh. Like, low, like, just has nothing left. Like, literally just waiting for somebody else to end the fight. The, the Bills' defense had nothing left. And this is why... If you're going to hate on the overtime rules, like this is why, because all of a sudden defense in this game is no longer a fair fight. Like defense is just there because they can't get off the field anymore. So it's no longer like a fair competition. Like the team that has the ball is going to score and going to score a touchdown. And that's your game. Like that, I think, does change the dynamic of, well, I'll just play defense. Yeah, but like your defense is shot now. It's done. And that. That shouldn't be a way the game ends, but it is. The Chiefs end up with over 200 yards after the catch once again. Mahomes only threw a third of his passes beyond the line of scrimmage. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away. Sounds like you are. From Mahomes here, who was outstanding. But this entire Chiefs offense is back to just being crazy difficult to defend. Um, but I think that point of how do you make the defense better, that's what they do in college. That's why, that's why teams like to run tempo. It's in part to run more plays. Even if you have a few less effective plays in there, at some point you'll get to the good ones. You run more plays and you tire out the defense. I wonder if there's, in the pass-happy NFL, if that's just another part of this. Like, drop back 50 times. It's going to be ugly and uncomfortable every now and again. But if you really want to wear down the defense, passing is the one thing that does it. Or having Derrick Henry. But, you, but most people don't have Derrick Henry. True. Right? So most teams do have a quarterback and receivers – that you can wear down the defense. I wonder if that's a, a part of it. I'm not here for overtime discourse. I will say college rules, stupid, right? In part because I'm a big, you know, don't want to ruin the stats. Imagine like a seven overtime game. Where it's like Patrick Mahomes ends the game with uh, 11 yards. touchdowns. Uh, because what happens is you start at the 25 and, and the quarterback throws for like nine scores. Uh, he had nine and Allen had eight passing touchdowns because all the stats count. Um, the other part is you cannot, if you're the NFL... You cannot preach player safety and then put rules in place that are going to make you play more plays. You just can't, you just can't do that. Now, has the NFL ever contradicted themselves before? Sure. They want to take away helmet-to-helmet hits, and they're, they're inciting more passing, and that's where you get more helmet-to-helmet hits, all that stuff. But it's really tough for the NFL to be like, let's play a full quarter when you see the exhaustion level that players get to at the end of the yeah. fourth quarter i mean this is just an example of why you can't have it be determined on like the flip of a coin and which team gets the ball because it's only going to end in one direction like both defenses I, I suspect both defenses though we never quite got to see if the chiefs would have been racked the same but i suspect both defenses at this point are absolutely shot and whichever offense had the ball was going to march down and score a touchdown and end the game like that's just that's just that's just dumb like it in a game that has become offense and nothing else, you can't then go, well, if one offense scores a touchdown, done. That's just silly. But then so is every other overtime option out there. So Long show, but it was all worth it. Hell of a weekend. That was, it, was, it was really impressive. Good job, NFL. Only two out of six wildcard games were all that good. And That's the thing. Like, wildcard weekend kind of sucked. 
as a, a spectacle. A lot of blowouts, a lot of just bad games. And then this, this weekend made up for it and then some. And the championship games look fun. So you got Niners and Rams, uh, Rams part three. Yep. And Chiefs-Bengals, part two. Part two. And the two favorites are the teams that ha- are 0-3. The favorites are 0-3 against their respective opponents this weekend. Chiefs lost to the Bengals. Niners lost to the Rams twice. Oh, I was like, how, how can the Chiefs be 0-3 against the Bengals? <laughs> so when you add it up. Yeah, yeah, I get you now. It's 0-3. So, yeah, should be. We'll, we'll be here Thursday. We'll preview in all those games. We'll get into some more offseason talk. Uh, we'll discuss Bucky Brooks' timeline. Uh, not from a hate standpoint, simply that he brings up a lot of good thoughts. I mean, look, this is uh, it's very useful if Bucky, is now, if Bucky is the barometer of the narrative. Yeah, I just the I think. The narrative, quote unquote. I think, you know, any of the, any of the scout heavy type of accounts are going to give you insight as to what the NFL's thinking. Right. Or, you know, even I think, you know, the Burt Brewers of the world were tweeting like if you're in the AFC and you're watching this, you got to rethink your quarterback situation. Because, you know, unless you have Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert and you think you forgot Lamar, unless you have those three, how are you going to compete with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes for the rest of eternity here? Yeah, because they're both locked up for the next X number of years. And I think there's some truth to that. Again, I'm, it's not like they both play like this all the time. You know, they don't both play this well all the time, but it just shows what they're capable of. And Allen's two-game stretch is as good as we've seen in the playoffs in a long time. So Mahomes had a great two-game stretch in 2019. You got Foles in 2017. But um, a two-game stretch that Allen put together, which was – it would have gone down as legendary if, if he just was able to continue playing. And now they're out. Feel for Bills, Bills fans. That is a heartbreaker. Yeah. Really was. I mean, for all the fan bases, really. I mean, any yeah, lost scoring thirteen seconds, but like the Bills really were. They were big contributors to that. They played a defense that let that happen. They kicked off in a way that didn't take. I mean, take the kickoff just on its own, right? You kick the ball off. You make them feel it at the one. They get to the twenty-two yard line, but it costs them five seconds. All of a sudden, you've got eight seconds to play with, and you still need to go that distance. It's not possible anymore. You just yeah. took it away. You don't have to squib it. Because right. if you squib it, you still put them at the 35. You just kick it to the 1. Just make them field it. They're going to go to the 25 because they, they want to get to like a reasonable field position before they probably – and the, that's the other thing. The kick returner probably gives himself up, right? Does he give himself up and lose the 4 or 5 seconds, or does he try to make a play? But, I mean, if he, did, both if he can, does that, yeah, if, like, if you can loft it to the 1 or it's any, anywhere inside the 5 – if that guy feels it and literally takes a knee immediately, one, it chewed up a second. So, and at this point, a second is actually valuable. Well, he wouldn't do it at the one. But that's the thing, right? So you've got to do it. Like either, right. either he's feeling it and taking it as far as he can take it, and it's going to cost five seconds, or he literally takes a knee the second the ball hits his hands and gives himself up immediately because the most valuable thing is seconds on the clock, at which point you're literally volunteering to start the drive at like the four-yard line because the seconds are more valuable than the field position. Either way, you win as the kickoff team. I just want to resp- respond to this really quickly. Mo Ager, local uh, you know, Cincinnati mm-hmm. radio host here. He says, the way Zach Taylor handled the final moments of Kansas City, the Kansas City win a few weeks ago makes a little bit more sense now, doesn't it? Remember all of that situation. The Bengals are tied up, and they keep, instead of just kicking the go-ahead, the game-winning field goal to go up by three and give Mahomes 50 seconds, 40 seconds, 30 seconds, they kept going for the touchdown and eventually got it 
and left Mahomes with zero time. Yeah. Or, or they eventually got to the game-winning field goal to leave him with, with zero time. There's Mo Egger. I mean, that is really interesting, right? Because at the time, people, oh, the Bengals are crazy. What's Zach Taylor doing? And it really is Mahomes and Tyreek and those guys changing the math in end-of-game situations because of what they're capable of. And we'll see if that ends up, see if we get that same situation this weekend. But it, it, it also shows how insanely difficult it is. Like, think of Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy, this situation. Like, the, the absurd, unique situations that you have to, like, game plan for mm-hmm. so that you don't screw it up live at the time is insane. Like, okay, Mike McCarthy butchered the, the draw call, even though he claims, like, yeah, we've, we practice it religiously. It's a 13-second play for us. Well, for everyone else, it's a 17- or 18-second play. That, in and of itself, suggests that you're off on an island and probably shouldn't be calling the play, right? Because something different is going to happen. And when it does, that's the second you need it. Like, and they, who the hell practices for a 13-second drive? I know you, you can't literally prepare... For every situation. This, I, this, this is a is situation different. where I guarantee nobody has ever practiced this 13 scenario. seconds is far different than 20 seconds. Yes. Different than 30 seconds. 13, now, not just thir- 13 seconds when they have a bunch of timeouts, right? right? This is the scenario. Like, the last 10 minutes of practice, here's your scenario. 13 seconds on the clock. They've got all their timeouts. You've got to stop them scoring. Go. What? What the... Dude, why are we practicing this? This is never going to come this is, up. But again, this is where I get back to that tree. Who's the trio that made this thing happen? Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, right? Hill and Kelsey had the two t- to the two catches that put this into motion. Those those guys played backyard ball as well as anybody in NFL history, and they just probably did that. They said, "Look, we know we have 13 seconds. We know we have timeouts. We don't know what the de- that's the other part. You don't know how the defense is going to play you." We just painted all these different scenarios. The Bills could press a little bit. They could play us uh, not as soft cover two. They could play crazy prevent. They could do all these different things. And you just have to adjust to it on the fly. And the Chiefs clearly were able to do that. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing that made that happen is the calls from the Bills. Like Leslie Frazier and, um, and the head coach are they're culpable. I mean, it's, as I say, it's an absurd situation to even be practicing ever. But... Given that they were drawing those up on the fly, they drew it up wrong, start to finish. I'm just saying, keep the the energy that everybody had for, like, Mike McCarthy and you're an idiot, right? Fire that man immediately. Do it for Todd Bowles and for Leslie Frazier slash Sean McDermott? Yeah. I mean, those are – obviously, they've done a better job, I think, than Mike McCarthy overall. But those calls cost the game in addition to, you know – Mahomes and Kelsey and Hill being free. Yeah, absolutely. It was an incredible weekend all the way all the way around. Uh, <laughs> it's our longest show ever. There's only four games to talk about. Yeah, but it was the most intense four games. It was the best weekend of football history. I can't believe we got out in three hours. Mm. To be honest. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back here on Wednesday. Don't forget to check out the PFF NFL Daily and to get your twenty five percent off over at pff.com. The promo code is NFLPOD. NFLPOD. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to the Marathon Divisional Round Review. We'll be back on Wednesday with some uh, some more Divisional Round Review, more narrative chatter, and some off-season discussion for the other 28 teams that aren't playing anymore. And the emails. And emails. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Wednesday.